Yo, welcome back to your favorite book, a book with no reading required. That is Nick's Nonfiction here with your host, Nick Munez, Denver Open Micer, former radio show host, current upcomer at life, and figuring this crazy bitch of a game out along with you listeners month after month. Thank you for tuning in again this July. Fun time as always. We got free money. I hope you have a butterfly net handy. It's going to be raining nickels and dimes on you. And if you listen through and through, there's going to be little gold nuggets throughout the show about making money, saving money, and becoming the ever-fleeting 1%. Michael Shermer has amazing tips for us throughout his nonfiction book. He's going to be contributing perfectly for another edition of Nick's Nonfiction. Last month, June, we had Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, which did well. Had a good response. Over 100 downloads on all platforms. We're getting on episodes overall going forward. It's a great place to be. And the ever-encroaching approach to 10K on Harry shit is coming. So stay tuned. Thank you all for giving me 8 seconds of attention during your nightly Instagram. Probably all-day Instagram scrolls. But I'm out here splitting sides at 7pm every night. (laughs) Harry shit, a reported death. I killed a man with my humor. There was a comment under one of my pictures saying, Dead, crying emoji. Who else can say that? Only every meme admin in the world. Keep on keeping on over there, Harry shit. We're not stopping at 10k. We're stopping when we're the first meme page to have a billion followers. And then a trillion followers. It's a free giggle every night. And if you got a little too high on accident, you got... Hundreds upon hundreds of pictures to go look at now and giggle at like a Sunday comic filled of the best, dirtiest jokes on earth. Harry shit, that's a strong enough plug to get us over the hump for 10k and for our book next month, August. Damn, already? We have a book that is going to be going over some more personal life. We're going to be digging into my stand-up experiences and our first female author, But stay tuned to the end of the episode if you want to hear what our book next month is going to be. And there's no new (laughs) Denver drugs being legalized this month. But (laughs) underrated scene, you'd think all the Denver people are like sitting around or out in the mountains. It's one of the fittest cities in America. This also can attest to that. The club scene is nuts during the summer. There's like old churches turned into clubs. Remember that movie Clockwork Orange? There's Milk Bar. They turned a club out of that where the furniture is like molded people bent over backwards. You put your feet on and stuff. And then there's just like places you could go swing around in cages. Crazy town, crazy time, July. Let's get into our book for the month. We have Michael Shermer a 10-time best-selling author. This guy, I think about three of them were like bestsellers. Mind of the Market today being one of them. But this guy has published over like 10 books. He has went into author mode. We're going to see how he got there. Michael Shermer went to Pepperdine. (laughs) Why is that a funny name? In the mid-70s, that's a Christian university. And then he studied post-grad psychology at Cal State to learn the scientific process. It's a total 180, right? going from just believe in Jesus, just believe a zombie rose after three days from the dead and he's now turning water into wine every Sunday. Come get your bread and your body for free. (laughs) And then he just went into Cal State to learn how to debunk things with the seven-step scientific process. 
throughout the 90s how he really got his name out there he was in like across america bike races and stuff leading up we'll learn about today but biggest leap he had was when he started skeptic magazine remember magazines they came in the mail every month and i'm doing a youtube video every month broadcasted from a microphone to the world there's listeners in europe i could see this shit through soundcloud growing people like to hear truth and this episode has a lot of truth in it spoiled it six minutes in don't leave whoever's scared of the truth i'll coddle you with as we learn one of our first quotes is from darwin you have to relate truth through life examples that's why i give all these stupid silly analogies to go with everything that's how you remember things cats out of the bag it's gonna be like a little it's gonna be more of a government dissection episode a lot because our last one anatomy of the state soared so you got to give the people what they want and the internet needs truth especially in this time where uh youtube channels are being taken down if there's 9-11 content in it i gotta drop this in because i saw this video fucking last night (laughs) i should have went to sleep um i saw there's leaked cctv like security cam footage from around the pentagon that it is a russian i think it's like gibber 7000 missile you could see it frame by frame it hits the pentagon it wasn't a plane dude you could measure the size of the hole like there's a lot bigger evidence but there's literally fucking security camera evidence so maybe i'll uh play this <laughs> i'll play this part of the audio of the podcast in reverse so the real truth seekers over in finland or whatever can hear what happened so there's a healthy dose of truth within the first fucking 10 minutes of the show we're gonna be going deep from now on because as i'm saying the host is looking out for his people here you gotta fucking give them what they want and i love truth and so does everybody else apparently it's just being suppressed and michael knew that that's why he blew up with the skeptics magazine and he's adaptable so he adapted the magazine then into a website if you think websites are just like magazines every other page is an ad <laughs> you got to click here and here it's like a create your own adventure reading experience a magazine you just flip around centerfold first but michael this is what i was trying to get to how michael got to wear the helmet of god it's called it's in like university of santa barbara some high Falutin master's degree program where they have this frequency helmet we learned in why we sleep how they can boost REM cycle frequencies like theta waves in your brain is a flow state it's when you're sleeping they can induce that with pulses and with this helmet Michael was saying here describe it for the people it's like x-men dr x's helmet when he goes into that dome he puts the helmet on and he can see anywhere in the world michael said he wore this helmet and he was able to like transport himself to any part in his history in his past and like live the experience again it was like a super meditation helmet in this dome in this university that they have michael got to wear it so although he went to Pepperdine, a Christian university, he got to wear the helmet of God. He's, he's gotten the complete 180 to 360. He's chastised on the internet now for talking about like Holocaust denial, but his website was a forum. So of course there's going to be the, the fringe is going to make it onto your forum because they need a place to talk to. But he was there talking about jfk mlk rfk assassinations i should be able to say that many initials of important leaders that got offed <laughs> he made a lot of money off of like um, pearl harbor on his website too 
And so Michael has a pretty libertarian take on society because he's not out there just trying to push a narrative. And his quote before the preface was just about because he has a master's degree in psychology. He has like eight fucking master's degree from a bunch of different universities. I can't list them all. It's going to waste their time. I'm talking a mile a minute already. He did animal psychology too. He worked with a lot of rats at Cal State, rat studies, and he noticed humans are just like porcupines. We have to huddle for warmth. We have to create cities so that bears don't eat us and shit. But when we get too close, we start pricking each other. Now that we're in each other's pockets 24-7, we're getting on each other's nerves. It's way too much interaction, it might start to seem like. He considers himself, we'll learn throughout the book, a libertarian paternist, which is like anarchy with rules. He wants America to be, I I just turned a lot of people off. He wants America to be like a football game. Like there's a few rules you got to follow. If you don't, you get the whistle blown on you. Men get an exponentially larger dopamine hit when we punish rule breakers. Studies about that in the book. He thinks if we just have that framework, that's enough libertarian paternalism that's like what the constitutional frameworkers were all those i'll use the media's words all those truthers back then and he ends with the last couple chapters talking about how millions of acts of kindnesses go on every single day in america and they just go unnoticed or completely unreported by the media so you got to take a lot more notice to that humans are really kind we do a lot of shit for each other Let's do this. Mikey Shermer's Mind of the Market, the prologue, economics for everyone. Just a good, a quick, hopefully, five-minute 101 course about things you've heard throughout your life about economics, and this will help us get into the groove for the day. He started the prologue with a parable from Jesus, and I went through... 18 years of going to church every Sunday, and I don't think I ever made it through a whole homily or memorized a parable. I have a confirmation. I have a fourth name, but I can't recite a parable. Well, Jesus was saying, (laughs) like we actually have the direct quotes from Jesus Christ himself. The (laughs) What is this parable? The first parable was about how Jesus was saying, the daddy is always in debt to the debtor. The rich get richer, basically. This guy, Jesus Christ, he's the most famous man in the history of the world. We based time off of him. He had followers for a reason. He was crucified for a reason. He was talking about the Roman banking system and how it was complete bullshit. Everyone was getting owned by them because they were starting a loan system for everybody. Jesus was the man, dude. This is why, like, 60% of houses in America 2,000 years later have a picture of him or a crucified body of him in their house somewhere. This guy was talking truth, and now we just say, be nice to one another. You're right there, but read to level 2, Jesus. Bible (laughs) 2.0. Nick's nonfiction is Bible 2.0. Oof. Heavy claim. Live up to it. This relates exactly to what I said two months ago. The new U.S. motto is steal from the poor and give to the rich. That's because it turned into like an oligarchical capitalist system, crony capitalism, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The rich get richer. If you have a free market where there's a bunch of smart dudes putting their ideas together, the rich dudes are going to get together and fucking keep getting richer together. Keep having better parties together. Keep making better restaurants together. Keep doing better sleep science studies together. Malcolm Gladwell's accumulating advantages. Jesus was talking about it.
But rather than just that parable in the prologue, Michael treats the market as a science because he has such a heavy background in that seven-step process. So he kind of honey-dicks you <laughs> with that allegory, makes up for it with a truth bomb, though, up front. He said the words for the natural outcome in a market is called cumulative advantage, a.k.a. the best-seller effect. No need to explain people like Apple because it's the biggest, so then it looks better when you have it in front of your friends, and then they make their design technology better, so keeps getting better they were able to quantify this in a university of columbia study by the number of song downloads next to the song so when you were scrolling through and you saw a really high number you were like oh what's this about it's the same thing when you're walking down a street and you see a crowd you want to see hopefully someone's getting their ass kicked in the middle of the crowd or there's a cat fight in the middle of the crowd and a titty's gonna pop out same thing with this song you might hear some truth you might hear a nugget of truth in it or you might hear there is really no audio titty yet i just compared it to truth so those are my audio titties <laughs> so i'll give you a hot tip in the prologue here to make it worthwhile before we get the book so i'm not boring you that's not what we do here we don't bore people here the way to maximize your likes on instagram oh everybody just fucking sat up in their seat I've been running a meme page for three years. The race to 10K is ever close. Just like this University of Columbia study, I figured it out without fucking paying $200,000 for a degree from them. Post your memes around 7 p.m. Because you'll get the initial bump, well, I guess 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is where most millions of Americans are and are scrolling their phone before they go to bed with their drunken, not fully their rational thinking brains. So they're doing their emotional oh double tap heart for this person double tap heart and so then it gets that initial bump and then people see the number next to the likes and then it fucking goes viral somehow through their bullshit algorithms but it's about seeing the like and then you're not an ambiguous person being out of the norm being one of the 10 people to like something but then there you find during the meme page that there's always like the one person that tries to like first so that you see them while you're still on the app <laughs> It's a fun community, dude. <laughs> Somebody commented like a five paragraph essay on one of the 5,000 likers past month. So <laughs> definitely go get involved there. And Michael Shriver is preaching these tips as well. <laughs> and likes are a value too. I mean, likes are a currency. Likes are value for girls, like through butt pics you get. No, but it's a currency, dude. That's how you get taken on a better date, flown to a better island as those people. Yeah, <laughs> likes are, the, the, we're in like some digital weird ass world that's evolving super duper quick. This will take us to the latter half of this prologue, the banker's paradox, which is about how it's difficult to know who to share your resources with. You don't know who to tag in the picture with you or because it might bring down your clout if they're a weenie or something like that. That's a, it's a shameful example, but people probably live like that in today's society. Society. To get technical with it, the banker's paradox, someone with bad credit probably needs the money, but the bad credit means that you can't give them the money because they're an irresponsible person. And so it leads to human nature, like a lot of people deal with paradoxes differently. We're on a rock floating through space, that's a paradox, and all 7 billion people are dealing with it very differently. <laughs> I mean, all the coping mechanisms we're herded into seem very similar from afar, though, if you're an alien on a ship or on a psychedelic. <laughs> 
but the most common outcomes Michael was saying for the banker's paradox, people choose reciprocal altruism, which is good business, good intentions. Like I'm trying to see what I could get from you to benefit you to see what you could get to me to benefit me. You're trying to get an equal trade. I value a milkshake as much as a dollar on a hot day. A Wendy's milkshake, if I'm saying a dollar. There is what's called fair weather friends investments, which is only when the clout is up, like the numbers on the song. Only invest when it's trending. There's kin selection, which is blood. Like, you feel obligated to support this person because you birthed them. Well, I guess the the dark side argument to that would be was that you sentenced them to a life on this planet. <laughs> I've said on stage, you needed to be fucked to get to Earth. How else did you get here? Two people needed to do that. <laughs> Works as a one-liner. But kin selection, all these only work to an extent. If your homie's a hobo, you're not going to feel too bad for him. Get a job, dude. So everybody deals with this banker's paradox different. <laughs> not a lot of us in today's society have enough money to give away, so that's not as applicable to people. But it just shows in the preface here that the way everybody deals with money is differently. So you're going to react differently to the book, but I'm going to give you the best nuggets to save. The secrets are very few and far between that I will boil to throughout the show. And this is when Michael dropped that Darwin quote about how facts have to be interpreted through ideas and examples. You can't just throw truth at somebody. You have to relate it to their persona, to them as a person. We need to hear about me, 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 me. Tell me about me. And that's how they're going to, that's how you're going to relate and remember ideas for you. In that Darwin quote I wrote down part of was, science is a blend of data, theory, concepts, and unfortunately, perception. All perception too. You can't, most people can't understand quantum physics. I can't. You can't teach an ant how to do two plus two. You can't teach an ant what light is or sun is. They just know what they need. We know what we need as humans. Want to play on playground. Want to start family. Want to live in peace and die. That's what it seems like. It's like the ant, you, we don't know what we're in. And science is just the best smoothie we got to try to, like, figure all this shit out. And unfortunately, perception is part of that smoothie. And so you always got to question, who's paying for the study? So let's end this prologue with the Dutch philosopher quote Michael had that he also had on, like, the inside cover of his magazine and his website for years. It was, like, the mission statement which is to make an endless effort not to ridicule human action, but to understand them, why it's being done. So don't ridicule human action. This is going to be hard to say. Don't ridicule Donald Trump for being a greedy, disgusting Jabba the Trump. Hey, call back. Wanting to eat fast food and watch Fox and Friends every morning because it's a show about himself all day while he should be donating these four years of hours back to the people. The government is a civil servant doing work for us. Fucking Taft was fat as shit. Caesar was being fed grapes all day. Napoleon wanted to take over the world. Hitler wanted to take over the world. Stalin killed millions of his people. Mao Zedong killed millions of his people. You can't ridicule human action. You can't ridicule men for wanting to do whatever is in my own personal best interest even though this is a planet we share together you can't ridicule human action you gotta try to understand it and why it's being done and put a couple rules in place on this playing field to try to get those psychopaths out and so let's get into chapter one of michael's mind of the market the great leap forward 
and it was called that the great leap forward because how did we make this leap that stat i used before 1850 the average man lived on less than a dollar a day how the hell did we get to that from sticks and stones turning literal rocks silicon into computers that talk back to us how the hell did we get there and Michael starts this by saying whatever market you're in dictates how you will do. So if you're uh, in a Louisiana market, you might only make $80,000 a year, but that'll buy you a mansion. <laughs> and you've seen the memes. It'll buy you a mansion, but that might be in Honey Boo Boo's town next to a guy that built five ATV ramps in his backyard. You might live in West Palm Beach or the friggin' Hamptons, or you might live in the middle of Africa. Whatever market you're in dictates how well you're going to do. And there's outliers that make it out. But let's start using the bell curve to talk about truth for the next couple hours. There's a bone-chilling comparison about the market that you're in. About how 300 years ago, living along the Hudson River on this little peninsula that we now call Manhattan, only a couple thousand acres that you could have just traded for a buffalo skin. Now, one of those acres is worth trillions of dollars. And why is that? It's because the market that you're in dictates how well you do. Immigration, people bought value to this little peninsula. And people are lazy. They landed on Ellis Island and planted their ass down in the tenements on the south side of Manhattan. Some made it to Jersey City. Not a lot made it out to the west coast. The traveled Denverites you hear talk about this. They say the more, the more westward that you go in America, the more progressive people get. And there's some sort of truth to that. But people, yeah, plant their ass down. You bring your value to Manhattan, and then you work your ass off. And now an acre of Manhattan is worth trillions of dollars because of all of us little creatures there culminating and cancering and building these fucking skyscrapers and stacking 14 million people during a day onto this peninsula compared to just some people roaming around. <laughs> That's the best picture I could try to paint for michael's comparison his scientific term was a functional adaptation so markets are a symbiote they like breed with us they come up with us because people just love to trade so eventually some guy's gonna be like "Ooh, i have this shiny rock no switch the comparison i have this awesome shell dude find another one of those shells and i will trade you this chicken for that <laughs> now these shells are worth a chicken and you have a money system it just pops out of nowhere here michael had it was a seven step process that it goes like single cell to complex life multicellular life and then there's immunity which is your cells can start to fight things off after immunity there's consciousness and then languages people make dolphins make other animals can start to make then there are markets you start to trade things and then there's technology because the market spits things out and while it spits out greed it also spits out a lot of technology in 2015 there were like 250,000 new products on the market i heard that shit on shark tank that's a ridiculous amount of new shit for people to buy and while it is the marketplace of idea half of new businesses fail you gotta have all these ideas just being yeeted out there and either it happens or it doesn't <laughs> so you gotta keep lobbing shit up there so the bigger the market the more we could lob shit up there the more the functional adaptation can grow with us the bigger we have the more geniuses we could spit out it seems like <laughs> If all the population was a lot smaller in 1940, how many geniuses were there? You had like 
Tesla, Einstein, fucking a handload of German Nazi rocket scientists will never hear of. My point is there's probably a handful of guys whose IQs were off the chart who were doing meaningful science. Now that there's 7 billion people on the planet, there's so much more chance for that to happen. And that's why we have to have these facilities to give everybody a chance. That's what Malcolm Gladwell was saying. But as the as this fragile thing we have, the human life that apparently gets knocked out every couple of millions of years, we have made it up to markets and technology right now. And it has grown so big like the island of Manhattan because all these people are willingly contributing, willingly going to America for religious freedom, for freedom, and to work their ass off on their own rights. What a, oh my god, I have to talk about that, it's super relevant, and it was the coolest thing, I went to the Denver Science Museum, I think it might still be there, if you could go catch it, the Da Vinci exhibit, they put together, it's like five rooms, goes into the weapons of war he created, all of his other inventions I'll get into, the, he didn't even make the Mona Lisa Da Vinci, he just put a filter on it, like he was an oil painter, he just made it look all crazy, he made her smile a little less happy, it was called the Giacana or something like that before. Da Vinci, he ripped some stuff off, but he invented a helicopter, Da Vinci in 1519, I remember this because I went there May 2nd, 2019, 500 years after the day of his death. How accurate is that? But fucking, I was in the exhibit at that exact moment. If I got on the car, I would have turned into a little queer playwright like him or something like that. I went home and started painting. No, not far off. (laughs) But it only took, like I said, 500 years of corruption for the knowledge to get through. This dude invented a car. He had a scuba suit. There was an aerial screw. There were like bat wings, the gliders that dudes used to fly off the Alps where he took his summers. These markets, like that guy is not the only one who had the idea to make a screw for the sky. Some dude that was bored as shit sitting on his farm watching pigs roll around in mud all day while he was growing his wheat. He probably was like, why don't I just put a screw in the sky? But he didn't have the resources of the church for this canvas that took hundreds of men to build for him to fuck around and try to jump off of a cliff with. But having enough people with CAD on their computer to design something to put through a 3D printer leads to so much more knowledge to flourish and to be pushed through the market rather than deciding who gets funded here and there for what DARPA project. There's some baloney there, and you you only get more funds if you do worse and prove that you didn't get the task accomplished with the money that you had. So the bigger the market, the more life evolves, the more complex immunity and consciousness and language can get, and unfortunately laws too then. That's why you gotta chop the head off the beast. (laughs) Michael's math example for markets helping out more people is that the standard of living since hunter-gatherer to consumer-trader, which is like, you know, London times, there's a foggy city where people are shitting in the streets and people are actually finally culminating into cities and consumer-trading furs that are being sent back from America and chocolate that we just discovered in the world. Uh, There's a bigger market for things for people to actually start to get rich now. It took hundreds of eons, I guess, I can't do that word math in my head. Hundreds of eons of years, Michael said, for that standard of living to rise 400%. The $1 a day until there was a market like Tesla making new ideas for everybody about electricity. And then since 1860, 
the average value of a household went up 40,000%. What does that mean? It's unfathomable. The bigger the market, the more complex life. It's just because, like I was saying before, the more heads you have working at it. Michael's analogy was the monkeys on a typewriter. If you have enough monkeys on a typewriter, eventually they're going to spit out a novel or something amazing. My addition (laughs) to those monkeys would be how we have AI now. We literally have an algorithm that takes the best and the worst. You heard about they exposed an AI to content from Reddit and then they talked to it and it was saying like homicidal fucked up things because they exposed it to content from people who were unwell. I guess I would say, um, and the robot reflected that. So we could tweak the this algorithm, but these monkeys on the typewriters, all of us have a lot better of direction now that we can move towards hopefully together. And you see now we're at like a tipping point. That was one of the points in the book. Like it got, there were so many people and so many factories. There was so much wealth in so little hands that it just like spilt over the kings had like millions upon millions or in that time it would have been worth like trillions because it's all the wealth in the world they had all the gold plates stored away in their castles surrounded by moats but when there's too much of that wealth when you can't hold all the corn in the castle the people get some of it and you have enough time to create new inventions and art those would be my words to expedite the chapter but to end it here michael is scientific and he studied a lot of emotions and he knows how this is what the book is about a lot moral emotions enable humans to cooperate and begin markets so his formal psychology and informal history research is coming into play here but informal (laughs) history informal history this guy has a better hold on the history of the world than your average sorority girl with a history degree he's read a couple books michael's doing okay So he knows that moral emotions play into this, why men will take over countries and won't stop doing heinous shit, why you'll spend your money when you, while you make a lot of money, you'll spend it and then you'll make a lot of money and you'll be like, remember what I did last time? Nope. You're too emotional. You go into this like habit of spending as soon as you see a big number in your bank account. So it's, there's deep emotional ties and brain triggers to this. He did a capuchin monkey study about how when you give them apples and grapes, there it was cool. They like valued the grapes more than the apples, and obviously the first thing they started doing was trading the food for sex. People, the first thing people are gonna do is fuck for a fiver. You're gonna <laughs> is that a thing in the gay community? If it is, I could be a gay fucking billionaire in this city. It was just pride. <laughs> the best meme I saw was. Title, July 1st hit. Next title, Corporations. And the picture was the guy bowing. End scene. Corporations don't give a fuck. They just want gay people's money. The monkeys were boinking for money too. But they saw when they only gave one monkey all of the food. It was in his best interest to divvy it up. And he always shared it equally. People are always going to see that giving away to other people is always more valuable. You see Bill Gates, he started what's called like the 90% project. If you're a whiny little left-wing bitch, you've never heard about this. Him and a bunch of billionaires give away 90% of the wealth they make. They make an extraordinary amount of money. You see this with people after you make a certain amount. <laughs> There's nothing more you could do with all that money. Nothing's going to make you happy. You, you could buy one of those jet hover water ski things that make you fly. 
that's fun for a couple days, man. <laughs> and the monkeys knew this too, what you eat a belly full of grapes for a couple days and that's it. It's about sharing and starting a community and boosting other people up when you get to that point. But this is counterintuitive. As a libertarian, you're supposed to trust the market, but you would think, okay, if it's unfettered capitalism, the rich are just going to keep getting richer until it all explodes. People are more generous than you think. That's like the point of the book I was saying. Michael notices all the millions of acts of kindness that go unnoticed every single day. <laughs> a ton of the money these billionaires making are going to really good causes bill gates is about to cure malaria the, the disease that killed the most human being animals in history more than war more than anything is these little bugs that transfer blood diseases through the air bill disease bill diseases bill gates is about to cure that that's better than anything money could buy that's what the market spits out but even if you have a tribe you're going to have one savage sociopath jeffrey dahmer will be spit out who starts fucking shooting people in his own tribe with arrows these sociopaths exist regardless of the market the market gives us iPhones and coffee on every corner and candles you could buy and other things in my room I'm looking at and whiteboards and snowboards and fucking sunglasses for a dollar like shit that people in Africa still are mind boggled by that we could go to the dollar store and buy at any time this isn't because some guys in suits that drive around our cities with guns ask us is everything okay here this is because people are trading at free will. And so that's how we did it, through this mutual human web of trust. Michael said, the more people get in the web, the more the web grows and the market can get better. We have chapter two now, which is our folk economics. This is about how humans use our ape brain to try to think about money. And this is why nine, <laughs> this is why like 60% of Americans don't have $1,000 put away for a rainy day fund. I think the stat is even worse. It's like 60% of Americans are in debt. What the hell, man? You can't spend money you don't have. That's one of the tips I boiled down and gathered in this book that we'll get into. 60% of Americans don't even have money. <laughs> it feels good to walk around with some money in your pocket. That's probably why, like, 60% of people are depressed too, dude. Fucking stash your cheddar up a little bit. Hold up, dude. You can't spend money you don't have. This is just like Michael started the chapter with uh, the story of the coyote running off the cliff, coyote and the roadrunner, and you don't notice you're going to fall off the cliff until you look down. And humans run with our folk science, we run with our spending habits, we just do whatever feels good until proven otherwise. And you have to be proven otherwise in a way that feels good enough for you. Like Charles Darwin only found out in 1700, so the art of convincing people is still pretty new. It's pretty new to me, that's why I'm talking crass as hell. I'm gonna have to reel it in in the future, I know, to pull in mass appeal. The haters get by with the mass appeal. Oh, insert that shit. Where you gotta have the mass appeal to get big enough and you gotta fucking talk by the book. That's And I'm running off the cliff in that sense, that I'm using the F word every episode and talking about 9-11 conspiracies within the first 10 minutes of videos. Truth! But I'm sending it, and that's what a lot of people are doing with their wallet. They're just walking down the street, and their stomach goes... And then they just pull off, right turn into sandwich works. <laughs> You're running off the cliff right there. 
because you're listening to this pet you have that controls you it's the dog that's pulling you on the leash your stomach some people don't have control of that leash you're supposed to be hungry that's why intermittent fasting is this new thing my sister sent me this great tweet what a tweet it was like millennials have this new term for skipping breakfast it's called intermittent fasting because we're lazy as shit it's a funny ass joke (laughs) that would get a laugh The point of that, though, is that you're supposed to be hungry. We're human beings. You're not supposed to be walking around with a full stomach, and as soon as a tiny bit of your stomach opens up, you just shove more food in it. That's how a lot of people live. (laughs) (laughs) Rude. But that's a lot of people how they do their wallet, too. As soon as a penny drops into it, they just suck it back out like a vacuum. Don't be the coyote running off the cliff. It's hard for our ape brains to have to deal with money. It's impulsivity control. And so it's hard for us. It's a constant battle, especially on the internet. Every click, there's something they're trying to sell you. You want to buy. You walk down the street. There are 5 million restaurants you will pass. There's so much temptation. It's so weird. Everything's flipped. The poor people in America are fat. It's like all reverse incentive. You don't want to do what your body is telling you. Humans, Michael used this awesome little comparison. Humans live in what's called middle world. Think about it. Our brains are weirdly equipped for this universe. We aren't the size of a planet, which is how most of the universe is. We aren't the microscopic size of an atom or a single cell, which is how the other half of the universe is. And it's just us fruits vegetables insects and trees and all these other little life forms are stuck in the middle land so our brain can't comprehend these massive structures like planets we can't comprehend the scale of the universe you could look at as many pictures as it wants when you zoom out enough it kind of looks like a brain neuron network which kind of trips me out but literally i can't comprehend i don't why do i want to think about that shit it's too big for me to understand i'm an ant trying to do trigonometry there go tell some jokes tonight on a stage that's maybe enough that your brain is good enough for processing We don't know the answers, though, man. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. We're in this middle world. Humans are just running with narratives. It's trying to. It's like us just keep running off the cliff. The example in the book was in the 1940s, we had the plum pudding model. That was like our perception of the atom. Now we have an electron cloud. We know that the atoms... We don't, we don't even know, dude. We're still running off the cliff. We think the atoms are in the electron cloud and they pop up here and there in other places. Quantum physics, we don't know how they just randomly pop up. They literally go out of our dimension for a minute. But we had the plum pudding model before, which is that we thought an atom was just a bowl of pudding. And then there were electrons and neutrons and protons just sprinkled into the plum pudding. That was our fucking that was our theory of how the universe worked up to 200 years ago and people want to go back and talk to people from a different time and try to blow their mind with your new knowledge those people thought the world was built with pudding we know so much more this is like when people say i gotta try to make a bit out of this when people say if you could go anywhere with a time machine where would you go it's like you could go to the past and hear about any friggin' story that we have heard about the past my point there is the plum pudding model was good enough for us to get to the next level though you got to run with what you have but if i could go anywhere in time obviously you're not going to want to go back in time 
you're going to want to go forward in time, especially if you could come back and take some stock information and be rich in your friggin' shitty time again. But if you could go forward in time, everything is relative. The relative happiness, the relative wealth, as we learned last chapter, the relative fucking hotness of chicks goes up every fucking decade. Go 140 years into the future, people are going to be zooted out of their minds off of Soma and dancing around, and you're going to be able to, like, summon a coffee through some wristwatch that you have it's going to be relatively uncomparably fucking awesome compared to if you were to be like eh, i want to go back to the crusading times <laughs> have fun sleeping on hay and wiping your ass with your hand <laughs> i'm gonna be having robots scrubbing my taint shiny clean <laughs> But our time, we don't know the future, we don't know the past, our time is also in middle world. That's why it's so hard for humans to process evolution. Like I was just saying, I don't know how big the universe is. A large percentage of human beings still reject that we were apes. No, God made us. We're special apes. Done. A large amount of humans through evolution have to... Alright, I gotta make a Hitler statement to try to fucking progress my narrative. You gotta exterminate those shitty ideas to make the whole populace understand evolution happened. So it's a bigger process than a single one of us can understand. It just happens bigger than everybody. Which is why, literally, it happens for the good there. Like I, talk, I just said ethnic cleansing, so I guess you could say not for the good. But it also happens for the worst. Every single human atrocity repeats itself within a few generations. Look at World War One and Two. It took 20 years for generations of fathers and sons to then kill themselves again over what, man? What was accomplished out of that? The borders of those countries are still the same. There's still some empires of very rich families, and the daily man has a better standard of living because of the free market. What the fuck happened in World War One and Two? Some Nazi douchebag took over because people weren't woke enough, and they were taking meth every day? In, in Nazi Germany? Stand up to your government. That's literally the only thing that's going to stop these trends. So just like humans are in middle are middle-sized or in middle time we're in middle brain power we can't even understand the theory of consciousness we're still running off the cliff with a theory of consciousness so we imagine some spirit dancing around in our head like a ghost that's why they say this newer science meditating is dropping the consciousness down into your body kind of it's a cure to the over cerebral engagement that is all fucking everybody's heads up with this phone addiction now so that human meditation is like a shortcut if you're not running a million tabs on your brain because humans only have a certain amount of bandwidth on your brain you gotta clean the slate every once in a while you can just hash something out with rational thought a full powered human brain instead of impulsive actions if you meditate before you go out for the rest of your day after work you probably won't impulsively buy some shit that you didn't need and so let me do a little, um, I'm praising the markets a lot, and this is only chapter two, so we gotta do a little communist debunking, because, <laughs> I mean, those people probably t tuned out already to go listen to someone talk about taking my money away from me. How is that, how is that even a rational idea in somebody's head that you should deserve something you don't have? Like I just said, you can't spend money you don't have. Why do you deserve things? Who told you that? And you were to, I'm the beautiful snowflake because I talk into a microphone? Bernie Sanders is the devil. He wants to... He's a redistributive mechanism. Fucking... <laughs>
point for the book humans come up with their own redistributive mechanisms and it's hierarchies this is what the market spits out and hierarchies are fair it's not fair for everybody to go home with the same amount when everybody does different work in the book they found hunter-gatherer tribes in paraguay and they always share the meat but they let the guy who actually stabbed the boar walk home with the head so all the chicks see it and they're impressed and they want to be with that guy but now we're in a zero-sum society where food is always available so you got to flash your money to flex you don't have these other mechanisms but there's always going to be a hierarchy so michael acknowledged that and he's not a socialist and the final real main idea of chapter two here that leads us is that us as humans just like running off the cliff what we don't understand we fear and what we fear, we tend to hate. It's easy to turn what we don't understand the other into hatred. Oh, we hate the other. They're the other team. Let's beat them up in a war. But just like my example, like those socialist kids on the campus don't understand how to make money yet. So they fear capitalism. They don't know what they're about to get into. So they fear this whole system where it looks like the rich people only get richer. The secret to capitalism is to work your ass off. And if you start something of your own, you have 100% equity and ownership of the profits there. You get to decide what happens. And that's how you see these super outliers who make millions upon millions of dollars. But these kids in college don't have any sort of grasp or understanding of how to get there. So you fear it and you just say, yeah, I think that 60% of what that guy spent his entire life carnation on this planet dedicating to do, which is maybe take a bath of $100 bills at the end of the night, but he earned that shit. You can't take 60% of his money away. And so then that fear turns to hatred and people demand the money. Just like how people don't understand the libertarian solution to all this yet, freedom. So they fear it, and they just default to one of these two parties that we have set up and ways to have our money taken and decisions made for us. So Michael took a couple pages here towards the end to put some defense out for the truthers anybody who's not looking for a government solution to a social problem is easy to label as an outsider so if i'm saying like i don't think free health care is a good idea for our economy i'm easy to be looked at as a douchebag as an outsider oh you think my grandma should die because she can't afford to have her liver replaced how much was granny drinking was she taking care of herself why do you think my 20 year old salary should go towards that free health care is not free where do you think that shit comes from it comes from my paycheck it goes through the 2000 page tax code which is probably all bullshit but they find a way to get that money out from the poor while apple is offshoring four billion a decade we saw through the panama papers and nobody gave a fuck so it's easy to look at anybody who's not looking for the government solution, our team, the government solution as an outsider. But meanwhile, look what happened during Katrina. They fucking fumbled the ball there. All those people drowning in their homes. Do you remember seeing the pictures of the senior citizens, dude, like drowning in their resident senior homes because they can't get out. So FEMA was supposed to go help them, but it was a communication error on FEMA's part. I took a $3,000 University of Delaware emergency response class where we talk about all this stuff about how they turn megadomes how they turn the louisiana dome chris kyle the american sniper said he was on top of the dome sniping people i did my speech on that saying how people take advantage of the narrative of um <laughs> the narrative of tragedies because in chris kyle's book the guy that the cia movie was about you can read his fucking manifesto his crazy ass writings this guy who killed other veterans he said that he was sniping looters during 
hiring Katrina. He's a government agent, and FEMA's a government agent who let old people drown to death, man. They're not capable you saw the cajun army do you know what the cajun army is it's not a bunch of guys who go around putting hot sauce in people's eyes like antifa (laughs) the cajun army is a bunch of really good redneck dudes with their inflatable boats who go around and save people during these like during these many times a year hurricanes it's just a bunch of people that do good just like how billion gates bill gates john billion bill billion gates (laughs) he gives away 90% of his money, these guys that have nothing but AR-15s and cool military technology that they are into, they help people with the little that they have. Humans are really kind on community levels. And then again, when they hit the tipping point, when they have enough that all they can do is give away and decide how they can give back to the world that has given you all the beautiful luxuries we have to offer here. (laughs) I'm sorry, Bill, you have a house where every room that you walk into, the lights are at the perfect hue and your AI talks back to you. That's the best humans have to offer your super alien AI brain that gave us computers. But thank you, sir. (laughs) Please cure malaria for us now. I don't deserve any of your money. There was this economist Klein that was bought up, and Klein's point was that people are scared of a market, so you default to the government. You know, people during World War II were buying government bonds because they thought that would outlast, like a market crash would happen before a government falls down. Like, you know what the 1930s crash came for? I'm going to give my really bone brain conception really quick. The 1920s was the biggest point of friggin' wealth in America. The fl- there were hot chicks doing flapper dances and guys with mansions miles outside of New York City. There was no regulation. And then FDR comes in and starts getting his hands all up in the market and starts getting his propaganda voice all up in your living room through his fireside chats. Or And the Fed thinks that they can control what every human does every day, the market... How do I... Uh, quick quick libertarian lesson. You go to 7-Eleven every day and you could buy a muffin for a dollar every single day. It doesn't matter if it was a rainy day and the truckers had trouble getting there or whatever. They have a back stock. It's a business in a free market that was able to get a bagel to your corner every single day of the week, even if it is a federal holiday. You look at the bread lines in Soviet Russia, a lot of people were starving to death. When you just give the government the reins over anything, they they do the least. People out there that have a private incentive to get their own, then they do the most. So people don't do what they're scared of. People go to their default, and that's why in fourth grade, you're taught civics year after year after year there's no grade when you have a market class where they teach you supply and demand that's not a hard enough point for an elementary school student to understand they're doing times tables and shit man but adults in america don't understand supply and demand and productive value versus redistributive value we have a bunch of dummies in this country we should be looking to have a bunch of really educated people who want freedom that's my ideal america and so here's a new another money tip. I know you got an Instagram tip. You had your saving tip before. You have another money tip here at adulthood. Like I'm saying, most people are too scared to invest in the market because all you know is civics. All you know is praise the cops by now. So the government 
in the 1920s thought that they could regulate that dollar but as we learned from chapter one the market is a symbiote it's a living and breathing organism with the people it'll friggin soar and tank every 15 years but the only rule is buy low sell high if you're trying to take advantage of it and the fed was trying to control that shit and that's why everybody was wearing rags in the 30s but it bounced back better than ever because people were like remember when people were just drinking booze and inventing vacuums 10 years ago let's start doing that shit again the market was giving us all that what what was fdr said over the radio we have to go to war fucking a let's get back to building shit and then the 50s comes and you have a million new flavors of soda just like the market spits out 250,000 products a year now so what we don't know we fear you're not supposed to know a lot about the military in the book here michael was talking about how in some of their visible tax returns so what you are allowed to see their debits and credits the air force attributed two thousand dollars a piece for toilet seats in some army branches they said they were buying wrenches for eight hundred dollars and you know that a jdam missile is like forty thousand dollars per head that they're dropping every single day <laughs> so there's a home loan for a struggling american and there's a dead middle easterner it's some bullshit what they're expensing all all of our taxpayer money to, that goes to dude we're working really hard we're maybe working harder than ever as people too so it's like the fuck let me keep more of my shit than ever then so we are humans running off a cliff we've always had some form of chiefdom or a king that's we've just said he knows what's best the government is the intelligent designer leave it up to them they know how to protect us and all that bullshit buy a gun protect yourself (laughs) look at police response times but more than ever through lobbying we see that this adaptive ecology is getting re-swamped even swampier than ever (laughs) over like michael is saying we are our economy should be based off a short set of rules like a football game but we have a 2,000 page tax code in this damn country what are you talking about it's not an easy way for a small business to start up and so the government thinks it's an intelligent designer and it could redistribute here and here but life and economies are not intelligently designed they just pop up sporadically we were puddle soup that turned into cells that were able to then absorb mitochondria so then they had a friggin engine and then we turned into beings and now we're humans and now we have markets and now we can almost go into a digital world so we are running off this cliff i had some tips before to know how to not be impulsive as you're running off the cliff and keep the money in your pocket michael's motto for this was science until proven otherwise But I dropped a lot of negative government truth there, too. Just remember, you are a relatively free cell in this super organism that we can't really comprehend. You have a big degree of freedom here. Especially being born in America, that's a lottery ticket on its own. You don't have any freaking excuses to fail. That is our folk economic history. So stop using that monkey brain and look at where you're going. Look down. Make sure you got ground below your feet before you try to climb up the next cliff. And let's get to chapter three bottom up capitalism kind of like what jesus was talking about before proving my entire government robin hood theory this chapter talked a lot about adam smith capitalism he's an old free market philosopher but he believes in a well-regulated market he would always say how markets rise up more men but in a free market the rich guys like i was saying before the rich guys like to get together 
So just like, let me get another, let me get another shot in. So just like young rappers will collab on a song. That's how these SoundCloud rappers get big. They just plug each other. In a free market, McDonald's and multi-billion dollar companies are going to do multi-billion dollar mergers and collabs on unfortunately not great music, but corporations that are either going to try to steal your information or get inside your wallet every week. And so Adam Smith more so falls into the football field line of economics, just a regulated economy. A saucer quote in here from chapter three, just a point Michael Shermer and Adam Smith share to give you the taste of the chapter about Robin Hood government rich getting richer. In order for a nation to become wealthy, its government must run the economy from top down through strict regulation of foreign and domestic trade, enforced monopolies, regulated trade guilds, subsidized colonies, accumulation of bullion and other precious metals, and countless other forms of economic intervention, all to the end of producing a favorable balance of trade. Favorable, that is, for one nation over another nation. This was like the anatomy of the state. As soon as a state is set up, they could point at another state to point at them as the enemy and say, holy shit, look over there, while they have their hand in your paycheck every two weeks taking money out. And the idea is no longer let's help our citizens get out of poverty, people to stop shooting each other on the south side of Chicago and the diabetic problem in children. A lot of them are obese now. Now governments can just say, oh, but now we have the League of Nations meeting with Russia next week that we have to get ready for, blah, 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 and spend a million dollars to fly Air Force One and Two over there. Stop doing that. We don't care. Let's advance our society first. And I alluded to this point before with the Panama Papers. That is the definition of bottoms-up capitalism. Apple offshored four, I think I might have said billion before, four trillion dollars. Our debt as a nation is $21 trillion. This $4 trillion from Apple alone would have been flowing through our economy again. And that would be making more people rich. That would be an even more free market. That's what I'm saying. But this is how the rich get richer. They invest 24-7 lawyers that know how to bribe the politicians to change the tax money so that this right-wing trickle-down economics isn't a real thing anymore. You could just offshore all that money. You're not putting the money back into the economy. The economy is supposed to be consumer-driven, not producer-driven or influenced. Like the quote is saying, it's top-down. The government wants to control all these avenues and have a monopoly on force and protection, quote-unquote. So laws have pretty much always been derived from the state rather than the people. But you see now, for the first time, culture is being derived from the state and not the people. How scary is that? We're being told what we like from the television. Rappers are from the state now. All these Lils and Duties and Zans and whatever there is out there. The best rappers out there, probably the best musicians too, you will have never heard of because some giant corporation didn't want to put the money into them to broadcast them onto everybody's phone. But SoundCloud was a great liberator. But now you're told what your favorite SoundCloud rapper is with like friggin' Takashi. They just float up the numbers next to his name, just like the University of Columbia study, so that he looks like he's popular. But now that dude's so guy's cock holster in prison and i could say cock holster because that's what john stewart said trying to make fun of the right wing so that is a pc term <laughs> 
And when you have a laissez-faire economy, there's more consumerism because there isn't as many taxes. When things are cheap, people go out there and buy more cheap things. Consumer is the biggest motivation for production. If there's a need for roads, there's going to be a couple guys mixing cement in a bucket laying down a road and getting paid out the ass. That's when people say, libertarians, who's going to build the road if the government doesn't exist? I will be out there with a bucket so I don't have to deal with retail assholes. You'll get paid because there's a huge demand for roads. I don't think there's a lot of business people whose idea that would just fly over their head. And so as long as there is a need for something, there will be a market for it. You don't need a government for it. This is like why George Bush got on the TV after 9-11 and said, we need a strong American consumer. You need to feed the fucking beast because they have a sales tax. So as long as we have a strong American consumer, then more money is going towards the war machine. But after an act of terror, people are fucking scared and they're inside their homes when you show some of their fellow fucking countrymen dying like that. So you can't have it all. You can't fucking blow us up and then tell us to go buy your shit as well. It's excessive. So even George Bush, after the biggest terror attack in the 21st century, knew that the market is the biggest powerful thing in America, in the world, because we influence the world economy. And Michael had a really good quote about this. He was saying how the technological bubble and the burst of like AOL and getting on the internet this was about no question and in this time the invention of the internet you know the government was trying to get their hands all in this thing to see where they could try to tax people and this is about to get really interesting he said the inclusion of internet explorer with windows at no separate charge increased general familiarity with the internet and reduced the cost to the public of gaining access to it at least in part because it compelled netscape to stop charging for navigator so windows was saying yo we're gonna give you internet explorer for free you guys could get on the fucking internet and then navigator was like oh shit all right netscape's free everybody you guys can get on the internet for free this is what the market is this is competition you have people undercutting each other you have people trying to get better prices in and then you have all the people that can now interact on the internet from it finish the quote these actions thus contributed to improving the quality of web browsing software lowering its cost and increasing availability thereby benefiting consumers so then there's more people going into the technology more people studying invention for it more people studying this shit there's a market for all of this now and then what happens next this is a crime yes because microsoft also engaged in a concerted series of actions designed to protect the application's barrier to entry hence its monopoly power from a variety of middleware threats including netscape's browser and sun's implementation of java according to the judge they're trying to say the government was trying to say this is illegal you need to you can't just offer like free access like that without having the right permits for it michael goes on throughout this chapter saying they wanted to try to tax the internet you would have had to pay to get onto this forum and then obviously if you make your account every time you log into nick.usa then they would just have a direct cookie receiver to look at whatever fucking sites you're going on and shit it was harder for them to get a hold of our information now they're in every single laptop on the fucking planet but 
these tech wizards were like, no, 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 no. Let us make our money. Let us do our thing over here. Computers got friggin' huge. And then the government in 2001 retroactively was like, do the, do the NSA now. Do the NSA. And then they got in the game late trying to spy on everybody. So they got their grubby hands in on it, of course. But Michael's point was that we might have never had this awesome internet of free forums and ideas being leaked. The after story of the 9-11 world could have looked a lot darker without these truth forums. Ooh, yeah, and things that you can see out there on the internet now. And the also, Michael had some more stories about how the free market's better. He used the libertarian road argument, how there is an Alaskan bridge to nowhere. In Alaska, they were, like, building it over to Russia, and Cold War happens, and the government's like, yeah, nobody's ever going to want to explore the Eastern world. We're not connecting it anymore. There's a massive demand. Have you heard that China is trying to make the world's longest light rail, and they're going to go up around that land bridge from the Russia-Alaska and down into America and San Francisco? Can you imagine how many people are going to use that train from Hong Kong to San Fran? And you could be there and within 10 hours and get drunk that whole time or get a full night's sleep. This is going to be worth trillions of dollars. And the U.S. government in the 80s was like, eh, we got to go build some army bases in the Middle East. We don't need to be building things that are going to make us money in the future. And Japan's over there building light rails and shit. Dude, <laughs> come on, look ahead. Look ahead. Stop fucking purging the United States government and systems for power and corrupt tax laws, bro. Get the old states back, yer. More regulation points. Michael had to close out the chapter. Reagan, Mr. Free Market, he put a 49% impost, which is like an import tax. Why do we still have, tipping my monocle, imposts? What the hell is that? He did a 49% import tax on Yamahas, the Japanese bikes. And this is because they were selling much more than Harleys. Harleys, the only like American-made motorcycles that are really out there on the market, they were about to go under, so Reagan's like, fucking impost that shit. And you know what? The government then got more money to go do some black ops shit in Vietnam and Iraq in the 80s, while the consumer, somebody who just wanted to get to work on a $3 tank of gas, has to pay some bullshit tax for some freighter that is dumping more CO2 into the friggin' atmosphere than the amount of cars in the 80s all combined anyway. The consumer pays the tax, pays the dividend when Reagan just wants to pass a bill to try to make America look better. No, we need to get to work cheaper. We need more money in our fucking pockets. I drive a Taiwanese bike around the city of Denver right now and I get 140 miles per gallon. Yeah, I wasn't going to get that through Harley in the 80s because they're about to go under. The government's always putting their shitty little hands in things that makes the people have to pay the dividend, a.k.a. your income tax. And you see now, the free market is more powerful than Reagan's impost. And market always wins. Kisses bicep. You see Hondas are some of the most popular bikes now. It doesn't matter whatever Reagan's fancy impost was the market won. People like these bikes better. There's more parts out there in case something goes wrong. Better gas efficiency, better safety. Where's the technology going? Look at Huawei phones. Let's not totally throw it out the window, America. 
So rather than some fucking impost, the market has better cures. We have price gouging, like Michael's example with Internet Explorer and Netscape. They were just literally giving out things for free. And you know what they gave out for free? The internet. That is a miracle of the market that happened. Us, the people, us grubby little consumers out here, give me more, more, more. What can I buy next? We got the internet for free out of this thing. Thank God the government didn't get their hands on that first and we would have been paying a fucking internet tax to the government it attacks for them to watch what we do we're lucky we skimmed by that one i mean it's pretty much infiltrated the cable companies through net neutrality though now like i'm saying it doesn't take more than a couple decades for them to retroactively realize the hole where they messed up where we have a little bit of freedom and then they seal that hole it's terrible the market gives us like cutthroat competition <laughs> mcdonald's man mcdonald's is a miracle they feed poor people in different parts of the world too so have i made my point here for chapter three my slam dunk on the free market being better in virtually every single no every single situation than the government i know i have a woody for walmart throughout the past few shows but michael did them justice here at the end of the chapter he had a couple really great quotes for them about how Walmart is responsible for holding down inflation in the mid-90s. They employ as many people as the military. Think about that. The free market is a fucking force, dude. And not only that, but they are... How do you say it in today's society? Um, they're handicapped people as well that they employ. That's the most valuable thing that you can do. It's not just about being a really great store and paying your taxes and step up giving kids free water in Flint, Michigan. It's about giving people a sense of value. Like giving somebody a job is one of the most valuable things a person can do, a manager can do. A manager does a, more, a lot more than look at books. They friggin' counsel people like a therapist in a lot of situations you see. And Walmart is employing as many people as the military without any indoctrination. That is pretty fucking amazing. And we would have hit that 2008 bust in the 90s is what Michael was saying. But Walmart was growing. There was like this giant organism within the market. Like a, like a cancer, like a tumor, but a good one that was just festering. And it was Walmart popping up everywhere in America. And it kept the price is down. Walmart gives shit out for free. They will price match anything on the planet. You can bring up to them a TV and they'll be like, yeah, whatever, man. Take this shit. Give me 500 bucks. They're like slinging TVs. They're slinging everything for cheap. The Walmarts here in Denver are fucking crazy. <laughs> they probably have like little underground attachments to the friggin' nuclear bomb shelters because they are stockpiled. It's like a Costco Walmart version they have out here. It's dope. <laughs> You ready for the alley-oop? Walmart gave out $200 billion a year in food compared to food stamps, which is only $28.6 billion. Walmart does 10 times more than the government for feeding poor people. Is that a little truth bomb red pill for you guys? It's ridiculous. Oh, give to your, your local food pantry does everything. Churches give out more. Walmart gives out 10 times more alone than the government. And they make valuable jobs for people. And they make it so I can afford a steak. This is what the free market gives us. Not the income tax giving us a war in a foreign land I will never get to go to because they hate me now. <laughs> Thank you there, Michael. He gave a lot of good points about the bottom-up capitalism that we have now, about how who knows how much better Walmart could be doing or how 
how much cheaper their products could be if we didn't have the market regulating them around every corner as well. And that'll take us to chapter four here of pandas, products, and people. This is about market adaptations and Nash stability is what they called it. Basically about how markets are an organism, but they get into this cagey state where we are able to live with it and benefit with it for years until it transcends to this next type of market and evolves to more technology and toilets in every home and air conditioning in every home, or it tanks for 10 years. So let's learn a little bit more about Michael here as we've done a lot of talking about markets and really hard information. Michael Shermer is like a bike racer I mentioned in the about the author. He talked a lot about his Italian racing bike and the imported leather saddles, brass rivets, hollowed out parts to reduce weight. These like high tech index shifting systems. Should have been calling Michael Bikel the whole time. He has a wet wet for biking still. He calls it his dream machine that he rides in effortless silence. Just cruising around the hills of LA. And he's making his points. Are markets random or are they as precisely designed as a bicycle? And the answer is somewhere in the middle. As always, I'm saying life is in the gray. Everything's on a spectrum. A market is like a developing idea or consciousness. It's always being worked at. It's evolving. You're, you're never going to be that perfect ideal version of yourself. Everything is fleeting and a market is an evolutionary conscious beast just like that. Pandas have a jutting wrist bone. They have a sixth digit. They almost had a finger that evolved, but it stopped halfway because it's just good at shucking bamboo shoots now. So they didn't even need another finger. Now they just have a tool that doesn't wear down their fingers and they're able to shuck bamboo shoots that they can eat all day. And like the human brain, like I was saying, we go from hunter gatherers to consumer traders. Our brain has evolved with this market just like the panda's finger but it's not a fully formed finger just like we're not fully formed for dealing with this market like a computer like a computer they have down on wall street that has the algorithm that knows when to trade on a moment's notice we aren't that evolved you gotta own that technology to benefit that hard from the market so while markets are evolutionary it's just like a being on its own there are functions that man put on the market we influence the market heavily because like i said it grows with us there wouldn't be a market if there wasn't humans the indians on the island of manhattan weren't doing much value for the island all those people's minds had to come and make it this mecca i think that's kind of why michael was saying our markets random or are they precisely designed it's in the middle it's our human friggin orgy of a brain that spits out this society that's kind of gross bro if all of our minds get together that's what it puts together Damn, look around you da, 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 twilight zone <laughs> and so humans are the market early adapters have the biggest effect so you see this through the bestseller effect yeah if you have a bunch of cells then you're going to sell a lot more if you start writing those books at the young age then people are going to see oh wow this guy has a large number of books next to his name this next book is new and is probably going to be the best one then that's how the consumerist minds work and so the early adapters are push the influence of the market, influencers, whatever you want to call it. It's the early adapters, the people that get there and get all the likes. Digital or cash, these markets all reach a Nash equilibrium. Like Instagram, have you heard Instagram is considering getting rid of likes? 
that would just make their platform a Nash equilibrium. It's like, why are we even posting pictures then? What are we doing this for? You have to have a hierarchy. People are humans. We want to compete. You want to try to place yourself. Ooh, I'm better than this person, but this person's better than me. I want to be like this person. You have to have a hierarchy set up. And so if you take the incentive away, if there's too much redistribution, you're going to hit this Nash equilibrium. And Michael proved in the book and through all of his rat studies and then market studies it translates to that there aren't just winners and losers in a market. It's capitalisms. That's what the kids at the college will like to say and go, but everybody's a winner. Yeah, right. We saw a couple weeks ago, every human situation is different. There's peaceful cooperation, coercive exploitation. You could fucking duel somebody. But markets allow for a lot more outcomes because they are a lot more advanced than the human mind. There are so many more ties than just your neurologic system. Eat, poop, home, sleep. There's a lot more shit going on. How does this pencil from the wood in the Amazon get to fucking staples down my street? that's smarter than i am and it's hard to admit that we're ants trying to comprehend a market and a nash equilibrium kicks in when there's too much regulation or the scientific term when the holding point is more valuable than trading so this is when people they know the market is going to crash coming up that's why apple is offshoring four trillion dollars overseas you can't have the money in our market right now the shit's about to hit the fan before i get kicked off the internet for saying that what was i saying the market allows for like win-win it was you have win-win i trade with you i got my pizza you got your five bucks there's win no lose so i won but you kind of didn't even benefit no lose lose i didn't lose shit you lost a lot then there's win lose it's just more outcomes for a situation rather than using force like we had to before we had language or the government does even though that we have language now you can't talk this point out wait why are you taking my money where is it going no it's we take your money or two fbi agents come to your house and then put you in a federal prison let's have a discussion we're headed nash equilibrium with this income tax we are at we're just running with it it's like the running off the cliff michael had an example in this chapter it was about the qwerty keyboard you know qwrty how the keyboard we have is laid out the proven efficiency is in a nash stability no one's going to gain from switching keyboards it's going to take a while for everyone to relearn it just like the metric system in the u.s and it's not a great thing a nash stability it's you it should be kicked out and that's because a monopoly kicked in all the big corporations were like all right yeah let's just sell qwerty keyboards and it's okay i mean we're adapting with it it's fine but what scientists saw is that the drovac d-r-o-v-a-c if the keyboard was laid out like key strikes in a different way it made for a 70 percent efficiency so it boosted people's words per minute up crazy just because everything's in the right place but it doesn't matter we're running with what we got i don't want to learn a new keyboard people don't want to teach their kids a new friggin metric system because then they'd have to learn it One of the good things the government did when they got their grubby hands on the railroad is because they were always in control of it. But you see in the free market, all the computer companies were like, QWERTY keyboard, QWERTY keyboard, done. The government made a single gauge standard for railroad tracks. So wherever in the country you start building on the East Coast, we'll start over here. When we meet in the middle, we got the same tracks so this train can make it all the way through. Imagine if the free market was making a train. We could have had some hoss-ass trains like the ones they had in Germany that were like five tracks long. You could haul a building, an Empire State building, along these giant-ass railways.
but it's about finding this discontinuous break from the past otherwise you're always going to wind up in a Nash stability and we have that when humans when we have these great inventors shit comes through that invents a whole new market for people to work in so getting towards the end of this chapter let's loop it back to the beginning Michael Beichel said that bikers used to put raw steaks in their pants to counteract saddle sores when they were biking all the way across country but then gel was invented for seats and gloves you didn't have to sit on raw steak anymore so why were all these biking stories relevant the way michael tied it in he's a really great writer like he ended that last chapter with the walmart story he ended this saying how in the 60s and the 80s gas prices were fucking out the wazoo they were doing gas lines the only time i've ever seen gas lines in my life was during hurricane sandy in new jersey it was my freaking dad's birthday and he goes to wait on a gas line <laughs> but in the 60s and 80s they had to do that anytime you wanted gas it was in a shortage that's why in the 80s we had to go find a way to invade iran but in this time the amount of small businesses in america friggin blew up nuclear because so many people were just riding on their way home that they would pull over it's not as big as having to stop your car or undo your seatbelt get out people would just stop for slurpees whatever they were doing wherever they were going it's like living as a teen you're always getting a slurpee that's just my life i'm addicted to slurpees i love 7-eleven i have a ton of bits about 7-eleven it's the most relatable thing in the world you know what the biggest chain is in the world a lot of people think is mcdonald's but it's 7-eleven there's more 7-elevens on earth than any other business but another one of these anchors for the american economy to grab onto was 7-eleven and michael Shermer was saying even though the gas prices went up and our government thought the solution was war let's go invade the middle east to try to make our gas prices go down people started riding bikes were probably happier in their life maybe that's why so many people in denver are skinny and happy because they bike to work too there's this like spear boulevard it's a highway for bikes they have it goes along a little river and you go there in either rush hour of the day and there's like a fleet of bicycles the tour de france going down this place it's really cool and then that led to a market chain reaction of more money being spent and cycled around going to 7-elevens and getting your slurpees to the point of the chapter that was breaking the continuity of the automobile that we were going on it was a disruptive change that birthed 7-eleven so to end the chapter we are on these bad trends as humans as michael has been talking about people are still chopping down trees to make books when people could very well use electronic books they're really good we're just used to flipping pages used to burning gas vehicles and a stat i heard recently there used to be three trillion trees on earth i don't know how they quantified this it's a very hard estimate i'm guessing but since all the deforestation of the amazon and everything we are down to 1.8 trillion so i'm not trying to spook you over global warming or anything Michael was saying if every human being planted a tree, which is not possible, I mean, everybody has a yard or a, or a park somewhere, but it wouldn't be impossible to reverse the path that we're on and actually make the earth like a greenhouse. Humans are getting powerful enough with our machines. They're doing reseeding with drones. I had a piece on my old news podcast about how in the... Uh, 
they're starting this in like the Middle East because they have the technology, but they have drones fly over and just drop seeds, and it's reforesting areas. So imagine in a hundred years what kind of technology we'll have that could either respray in some of the ozone layer or reforest an area. Not a great way to think. You should try to be proactive rather than reactive. But these are the solutions that the free market provides. And that's going to take us to chapter five, minding our money. Let's start saving a little bit more, keeping track of our wallets. Michael has a big grasp and a big time talking about cognitive dissonance because this is what keeps humans up at night and it's what we do telling ourselves justifications so that we can go to sleep at night. Oh, I didn't work out tonight because I had a really tight schedule. Oh, because I didn't get enough sleep last night. Justifications. It's cognitive dissonance you had, but you put it to rest by telling yourself an excuse. And Michael knows all the brain functions here as the neuropsychologist that he is. And he had this study here in chapter 5 about no matter who you marry, people are almost always satisfied with their decision. It's just a deepening justification. Like, you do this throughout life. Should I have bought this house? Should I have literally married this person? In order to go to sleep at night, you have to justify. You have to tell yourselves little lies to get yourself to literally make your bed the next day. So no matter who you marry, you are usually going to make the best out of it. But people are so mismatched, they go into dating so blind. That's why the divorce rate probably over 50% now because you don't do the homework before. And you see this even in India. They don't have quite the divorce rate we do in America over in India, and they have arranged marriages. They still have a caste system over there. But you learn to love the person. Theme today, everything's relative. If you don't have the idea in your head that you could just bail at any time, you have to try to grow this relationship. And that's why they don't really break up over there. And so they live a much less cognitive dissonant life than we do here in America, especially now with the dating apps where there's a million people that you think you could have gone on a date with that night in your pocket. It's pretty crazy compared to just being told, you're marrying Tabnit over here. He's got a great head of hair. You guys are going to get along. Chutney dinners and eight kids and a beautiful life ahead of you. But this justification process... We do this with our money too, obviously. We do it with everything in life. So buying the same thing doesn't make you happy anymore after a certain amount of time. There's like a physical rush of endorphins when you buy something. This is why Shopaholic is real. You have to, I was talking about a couple months ago, this experiment out there. If you try not to buy something for four days... It's a great way to start minding your money. Name the chapter. Like, you don't realize how compulsively you buy things throughout the week until you mindfully try to stop. And then the reason it's four days is because after you get over that, then it's hard to go back into buying pointless shit. And you're like, what? I was just buying this every day for two years. What the heck? And that's why experiments help you adjust, as Michael knows. And like I'm saying, we go into these tunnels as people. For two years, you might have had the same subscription on your credit card and not even noticed or done some sort of act subconsciously. And Michael was talking about the psychological tunnel vision that police have. And as soon as they put on the uniform at the beginning of the day, they are in a hyper-vigilant state of stress. Like their brain is haywiring because any corner they turn there could be a guy with a baggie in his pocket and a heater and this could be the last time he ever gets to think about his wife and his kids because he's about to get blasted for wearing a stupid uniform hey you took the oath but you can see how it really makes these people unstable you're putting yourself through that much stress through the day and in these states of hypervigilance or when your brain is like totally starts to misfire from over stress 
there was this study Michael had at a you probably seen the video it's like a basketball game and it just looks like a normal game and you watch the entire video and at the end michael said to his participants like did you see anything throughout the video and they're like what do you mean it was a shitty basketball game can't this be a more fun study and he plays it back for them and there was a guy in a gorilla suit just like playing defense on one of the guys you don't even notice your brain is just so accustomed to following the ball around that you didn't even notice that one of the 10 players on the court was an animal it was crazy and humans have these blind spots especially when we're in hypervigilant states we have most of your vision can be a blind spot and your wallet gets affected by that when you're under stress when you're under slept or anything weighing on you outside of the norm and it doesn't make it any easier, Michael was saying, how there's an introspective illusion. So when you look backwards in on your own thoughts, you hide all the worst stuff in your shadow. That's why they say psychedelics, MDMA therapy they're doing is really good because you shine a friggin' flashlight onto that shadow and you see what everything that you've been shoving down. And then, after you get over the introspective illusion, then you could just be more objective when you're judging yourself and others. Michael had the study saying how high school kids, 60% of any high school graduating class, will say that they are in the top 10% of their class. So kids always think they're the smartest kids in their class. That definitely feeds into it, and humans are also terrible at computing probabilities when it comes to personality. So they think, I'm me, I work harder than anybody, so so I'm in the top percent, but that's not the calculation. We take mental shortcuts here. It's like the running off the cliff. You run with something until you're just told otherwise. About us being bad with probabilities, you ask a woman to estimate their chances of getting breast cancer. This was in the book. They'll always say, one out of ten. I know somebody in my family who got breast cancer. Me too. I know somebody. I could get it too. I got, I got giant tits from benching. <laughs> the reality is it's one out of 250 women get breast cancer. So it's just like the high schoolers thinking they're smarter than they are. People perceive themselves at more of a risk than they are. And it's a smart ape brain thing. It's trying to keep you safe. So you're aware of this problem. But it's priming. And the news is aware of these things and it feeds into that. And that's why they put cancer marches on the news every day, to keep the fright up. And Michael has studied all this stuff through the news as well. This was like my major mass media communication. We got, we got to watch a lot of weird news panels throughout my education. And there's this thing called an anchoring disparity, which is... That's why they call it a news anchor. That's why they call television programming... The anchoring disparity is your brain grabs onto the first thing it sees. Is why you walk into a store and you see 30% off was $60. <laughs> no, I can't do the math on the fly. And then you see the markdown price. But you didn't even know that these clothes existed before you walked into the store. So 20% off of what? Off of a ghost? You know these people are getting these rags in their door for like $5. That's just how good they could market it and take as much money out of your wallet as possible. That's why when you ask a girl like where she got something, she'll be like, oh, it was on sale at blah, 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 blah. And then if you ask a guy where he got something, he's like, yo, I've had this for like 18 years. Look, there's a tiny hole under the arm here. It's different things to try to brag about. <laughs> in the shopping example, you could see the anchoring disparity there in women. Or you can also use the anchoring disparity in the other way. If someone's like, how's your wife? You could say, compared to what? 
instead of being a douchebag and dragging the small talk out and trying to be philosophical and be like, compared to what? My life has been better, my life has been worse. You say, doing good. You can say, oh yeah, this is good compared to a couple days ago when I was constipated. It's good. So the antidote to the anchoring disparity, someone controlling the narrative, is just knowing that everything is relative. Like, it's not the natural instinct to think that everything is relative. And in these market situations, we don't know when the anchoring disparity applies. And it's not all the time. So it gets hard. I'll try to clear it up with a quote from Michael about when you're supposed to cut your losses so not to get tied too deep to the anchor. We'll wrap up the end of the chapter with this because it kind of talked about the cognitive dissonance how we started the chapter. Real world examples here. <laughs> the war in Iraq is now, when this book was written, the war in Iraq is now over four years old. At a cost of more than 3,100 lives, plus $200 million a day, $73 billion a year, and over $300 billion since forces landed in 2003, that's a substantial investment on the part of the United States without accounting for the cost to other countries. We don't give a fuck about anyone else. American war costs are estimated to top out at over $1 trillion. Are we the baddies? And who knows how many more will die before it's done. So it is no wonder that through 2006, most members of Congress from both parties, along with President Bush and former President Clinton, believed that we had to stay the course and not just cut and run. So when you get caught to this anchoring disparity, when you're running off the cliff and you won't look down, you won't look around you, you're going to keep losing money. We're coming up on 20 years now in the Middle East. For what? It's just making people believe less in ourselves as a country. We can't even win a war anymore against some jihadists and hiding in hidey holes. You got to cut your losses at some point. That's what Michael's saying here. There's a lot of betting fallacies about, you know, going on streaks because that's how you win. But as good of a winning streak as you go on, you're going to go on just as bad of a losing streak. And there are some brain triggers i think it's that your brain releases more cortisol like when you lose the hand of poker somehow because you want to think that you can win again so it's you're being driven to play this game even harder and you're getting free drinks during it there's a reason that gambling then is like the second oldest profession after prostitution and then yeah there's a reason that the state is the only one that tries to have a monopoly on gambling but we fucked over the Native Americans so hard and took their entire continent that we're like, you guys can make some casinos too. It's a pretty profitable grind. Good luck. <laughs> so we saw here at the end of chapter five that Michael ad admits to being a libertarian. He says he's a fiscal conservative, but a social liberal. That's what most people in this entire country are. I want to keep my money, but I think you should be able to do whatever you want. It's baloney, man. People are just too afraid to not be part of one of the two teams or part of the team that their family's on or whatever it is. So that's what all the priming is. And you got to cut your losses sometimes in order to improve. And that's how to mind your money. Don't run with the stupid habits is the easy tip there to save your money. There's no... <laughs> There's, I don't know how long I have to wait till I say this, but the, here, I'll give it to you at the end of chapter five. There's no real one true tip to how to get rich. The only thing I've heard throughout some of the successful people I've talked to is that rich people don't spend their money. You save and you invest. Even though there is the company with the most <laughs> locations, even in America, on any corner, you can get a beer and a foot long hot dog for $5. 
if you do that every single weekend, that's how you don't get rich. It's impulsivity control. Ta-da! Mind of the market. Save your money. Chapter 6. The Extinction of Homo Economicus. It's a shorter one. And it's really just about how our senses are being hijacked. So like advertising, there are subconscious cues that get you to want to buy things. McDonald's, red and yellow, is supposed to be colors that make you hungry. That's like why Chipotle changed it to red and yellow, too. There's the original, always bring it up Chipotle, baby. There's the original Chipotle here in Denver. It's right down by DU, the school. And it's like a green sign, but you can see they changed it to red and yellow. So just like that chapter before, you got to break the patterns to start this one off. To break the psychology of habituation, you have to break the pattern of choice. So just give yourself better options to choose from. Like we all have our Westworld loop. Everybody's a free agent, but we're also a cell of a much larger thing. So make the choices that you have between better things rather than processed Pop-Tarts. Or have you heard the one that it takes 20 days to make a new habit? And the reason that is it takes 20 days is because the human brain is pretty complicated, but you can reset the stimulation process of that habit. So like, so weed people are always like tolerance break, tolerance break. It's just like alcohol. If you don't drink, you're going to get drunker the first time you drink again. You see the way corporations get in your wallet through this habituation is just everything's on a subscription process now. You don't have to hand someone money anymore. It just vanishes out of your paycheck, just like the government's known how to do this for hundreds of years. It's a habit at that point, so you never notice. As long as there's $30 in your bank account, the lights are still on. Netflix is still going to be there for you. Uber's been doing this with their rates. You could do like ride pass bullshit now. That's just to get you habituated to a certain rate that you're going to pay. When it could be lower one day, but oh, you got the ride pass or whatever, so it's going to make it that predetermined rate. And we were just talking about gambling a little bit. Michael did a monkey study where monkeys and then humans are twice as sensitive to loss aversion and then only half motivated by gain. So if something bad happens to you, it's a much better experience to learn than if you just made money. You are going to do that again, but if you do something wrong, you're definitely not going to do that again. It's a better way to learn. And Michael loops back in the impulsivity control. He says you need a lot of neocortex to be able to delay gratification for years. And this is why people with brain damage have impulsivity control. And they uh, wind up lower on the socioeconomic ladder in the later run. And as we're learning today, impulse and emotion, that's the hairpin of the human brain. This is why like a server brings out a tray to show the dessert. And a smart salesman will always let you drive the car. Or while you're walking around the lot, he'll be like so what car are you looking to buy today as a default we want immediate gratification and as a salesman then if you could make a human connection identify with that emotion you are more likely to make the sale and that shows many times over on on people in sales floors and so you can see through this like if you go to that car salesman though and he's a little bit too piped up about the whole deal you can see through it and you might be turned off to the whole idea you'll sniff out the bullshit and this happens like one thing in a business can spoil the entire illusion but on the other hand wherever you go like we learned last chapter you're always going to convince yourself that the brand that you buy or the car that you bought you made the right choice So in the economy here, we see there is no free lunch. You always have to pay. And that's why I say you should see how much free health care costs, man. Where is it coming from? 
you can't spend what you don't have. It has to come from somewhere. And that's the extinction of homo economicus. We have a $21 trillion deficit. You can't run a business like that. Chapter 7, The Value of Virtue. And Michael starts this chapter talking about how moral calculations may be irrational, but they are human. So we do this. It's part of the human robot. We don't make the perfect algorithm decision as Watson, some Google, IBM supercomputer will when dealing with the market. And these moral calculations come into physical life too. If you take a philosophy 101 class, the moral calculation they'll always say is there's a train coming down the tracks and it's going to run over three people. But if you pull the switch, it'll only run over one person. What do you do? And you're supposed to be like, oh, oh no, but if I touch it, then I killed somebody. But if I don't, more people are going to die. Obviously, you pull the switch, dude. <laughs> so that's not a very hard moral calculation for your brain to make this moral math is happening all the time even on a deeper level you see like i saw that da vinci thing the fibonacci sequence your brain is always doing this math looking for the 0.7 to 1 hip to waist ratio or like the face circle or your arms are supposed to be four quadrants length as they are to your height there's like a perfect man i have it on my wall now but nobody walks into a room until they see this thing and starts computing bilateral symmetry man it just doesn't happen we just do this moral math in our head. So if it's manslaughter to watch the train and then murder to flip the switch, then I should not get involved because if we're putting a legal drape over this, as we've put a legal drape over the friggin' bread basket and see the shining sea of America, there's this legal drape that we have to deal with now. It's my best interest to watch the train run three people over. It's in Truman's best interest to drop the atomic bomb on innocent Japanese people. Michael had a sad story where him and his dad had to make the decision to pull the plug on his mom after like a freak accident. And isn't that not the most extreme moral calculation you will ever have to make? This guy has the gumbo gusto to be able to talk about the subject. And in his studies, Michael found that hunger and sexual decisions are the hardest impulses to control and the easiest to manipulate people through. That's why the advertising agencies always put hamburgers on titties. It's hunger and sexual decisions. And then your moral calculations, your subconscious brain has to try to make the decision if you want to have Hardee's later that night or Carl, what is it called? Carl's Jr. The one that did the, the video with Britney Spears. Yeah, that's the one. The market and advertisers know this. The moral calculation of hunger is where most people's money goes. Denver is a huge service economy. There's restaurants everywhere you look. And that's why on Mondays, the city is like a weekend because all the retail and food workers have the day off. And so what makes this moral math even more difficult is that it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own calculator within their brain, and it's because of the different imprinting styles that we grow up with. We're not that different from ducklings, everybody. You just follow what you know, because otherwise you'll die if you just do nothing. As an animal in nature, now the government will take care of you for wasting your space here. If you're unable to work, we make exceptions. Me and Billy Gates are going to take care of you. But these imprinting styles, just like before, how people deal with the banker's paradox differently, people do moral calculations differently. I would definitely try to push the train to the single track, but not everybody's going to want to get involved. And we see through things, Michael was saying, like, 
age status so how you feel do i feel like i'm old enough to make a decision in this situation this goes into a split second decision coalitions am i part of this person's group are they going to be mad if i make a decision for them collective identities conflict mediation customary greetings dominance submission etiquette and then some more of the imprinting styles that just deals with how you're going to make decisions throughout life. Food sharing, gift giving, opinions on government, group living, inheritance rules, redress of wrongs. Did you get the shit beaten out of you? Sanctions. Did you get grounded? All of these goes into the moral math. So when a hobo heckles me on the street, am I going to lay his ass out with one punch to the fucking jaw? Or am I going to walk by with my head down? All of your imprinting styles go into all of these split-second decisions every single day. It's what Michael calls moral math. In criminal justice, I have a criminal justice degree, so I feel a little bit better talking about this today. Like I just said, age, status, or there, I have a fucking degree, so yeah. But in our classes, I had this professor once. He's a total burnout, and I saw him on that I could take another class with him. Got another B for sailing in and writing some funny pieces every once in a while. We had discussions just about individual crimes and what is just or moral and if people should be going to jail or what the sentences should be for certain things. It was a really valuable class. That is what college should be. And it was because it was hosted by this professor who said he would smoke a bone every once in a while. And when he said that, he meant that's why I was late to class today and his eyes were shut the entire time. We had some of the best discussions probably I will ever have in my life. Like 50 people just chiming in about their childhood. And I remember a lot of the kids, this was in Delaware. So their parents, I was a criminal justice major. So they wanted to be state police. They're like, my dad was a state policeman. And in our family, that's a goal that we want to fulfill for our state. It was really respectable to see. And I was sitting there with my mouth closed because, you know, I'm I'm an agent of chaos out here. <laughs> But you need these types of open environments so I can chime in and ask him why he thinks the government shouldn't be allowed to have any laws touching his gun cabinet, but they should be allowed to have laws touching a woman's uterus. Where's your logic, dude? And where else does this moral math happen in life? Sex. S-E-X. Michael did the best study of what would be my senior thesis. He did a study where they had a handful of men go up to women and ask them three things on campus. The first being, would you want to go on a date tonight? And 70% of women said yes. And then they asked, would you want to go back to my apartment tonight? 6% of women said yes. And you know what that said to me? That means the other 94% of girls require you to spend a dime on them before they have a further interaction. And then they also asked, <laughs> would you sleep with me? And 0% of women said yes to this. But this is also why men catcall. It's for that 6% that said they would go back to their apartment. And this is like, this is what women then would call the slutty six. And they try to shame them out of free sex, put the fucking scarlet letter on them. But that slutty six is making life worth living for that 70% of men who are out there committing suicide. Slutty six, slutty six. <laughs> that was a cool ass study Michael did. What did it prove? That moral calculations are larger for women or they take them more into account is a better way to call it because it used to be women are risking having a kid so you got to stick with your primordial brain and giving up the goods is bad you're just running with that narrative when you're not 
fully thinking out, damn, this guy looks like he has a lot of money. I should let him take me back to his apartment. Nobody get killed out there, though. And this is a bit of a red pill for the feminists and anybody out there, but it's a huge misconception. I read Sex at Dawn, a book about old mating in human history. In the majority of human history, it was better for men to invest in fewer kids as well because you had to ensure that they were not going to be eaten by lions, so men would often stick around for family life. Now, of course, there is an undeniable point of slinging where if you spread your seed enough then some of them statistically will get the love and nurture that they need but you got to really be out there to be to be slinging that hard and that is how all men think they are part of the 10 percent, like the high schoolers <laughs> and the last study we have here about the value of virtue and all this mental math is that being self-aware and knowing others are self-aware are two totally different areas of the brain working some people don't have as much control over one or the other they did a study where there's two of us option one i get money option two you get two dollars option three we both get 150 so we both have to roll the dice and try to see what benefits us the most in this random study, a majority of times, humans gravitate towards egalitarianism. So they always chose option three. Yeah, let's both get a dollar fifty cents that we wouldn't have had rather than one of us just walking away with a couple bucks. Let's both benefit from this. Humans are naturally looking to help each other out. Libertarian paternalism, looking out for each other. So in a big enough trading society, most people choose option three. All of us are going to try to gain rather than a quick con here and a quick con there because eventually especially with yelp now in the digital age you can get called out and then you're going to be punished by people who don't want you to be part of our trading and growing society mutual trust is better so being aware and doing this are two different parts we have as humans what are called these mirror neurons which make us and a few select mammals very different from lizards and stuff we can mimic what other people are feeling or doing that's why when you're watching like a workout video you want to friggin work out if you're watching people fuck on on your porn bot your computer you're gonna want to join in on the fun <laughs> it's these mirror neurons that we have and this is why advertising is so effective in inducing hunger and this is why those sarah mclaughlin whatever commercials are so effective watching the dogs cry it's going to elicit all your sad emotions even if it's an animal there was this really cute study about how they can measure when a dog is happy they just wave a stake in front of its face but even when they put a cat in front of a dog the dog showed a slight bias of swinging its tail to the left because he thought the cat was cute this moral math is happening even in animals so it is a very root part of our brain that is taking control of your wallet you got to be trying to spend with your rational brain never just buy something because you feel like it there has to be a reason that you just put some of your equity into that you only have so much liquid funds you got to look at yourself as a business so don't be fucking throwing it away on cigarettes every day and so let's get a little preachy with the name of these chapters and Chapter 8, Why Money Can't Buy You Happiness. Happiness is relative, that's what I've been saying. This is why like people didn't smile in 1800s pictures. They are all fed up 24-7. You had to wear 8 layers of clothing even though it was 98 degrees out. Why? So the example I always got confused over, I always confused myself over, was how 
I would go to, I guess that's why I like 7-Eleven so much. I'd go there with my buddies as a kid and buy candy. And so a candy bar was always like a dollar. A Hershey's bar was a dollar. Now a Hershey's bar is one fifty. And you can see, is this relativity or is this fucking inflation? But the answer is both. It's going to be hard to explain. But a dollar is supposed to have a fixed value. You're supposed to hold that dollar against a moment in time. But that's like, an again, trying to do trigonometry because a dollar is just based on the confidence of the American in the dollar. Like I said a couple months ago, if the housing market starts to crash and everybody is like, yo, have you heard about New Zealand's stock market? It's booming. Just throw your money over there. It's all digital now. We have a worldwide economy. That's when the U.S. market would crash. And so you can't hold a dollar to a specific point in time because everything is fluctuating. It means something different at a different time. The household income in 1950 was 11,000, and then in 2000 it was 34,000. But then in 2000, 95% of homes have heating and air conditioning. So overall quality of life went up, but it's not like the fucking the money made a difference. I said it's going to be hard to explain. You have the same amount of fucking America points in your account, but the quality of life went up significantly because the market has provided central air for everybody's house this definitely ties to the point of his last chapter about the moral math the news is horse shit in the 2000s decade michael was saying these stats in the 2000 decade teen violence plummeted by 66 percent kids are something different now i'm telling you for real it's good to get a good shiver when you would see like a posse of teens walking across the street but now you walk by the park and they're all doing Fortnite dances and you just start to wonder how many of these kids asses could i kick before their parents file a legal suit <laughs> that's where your mind starts wondering with the teens nowadays they're totally different like i said they talk about did you see jenny's instagram story it was totally not empowering to women and shit they're they're much easily more brainwashed by these screens because the screens are what raised them the kids have ipods in their parents hands not their mom playing peekaboo another stat was crime not kids crime in boston LA, New York, and San Diego went down between 50 to 75%, and domestic abuse went down 21% in the 2000s decade. So just like violent crime is going down, yeah, you're not allowed to say that because you're supposed to scare people into their home, into buying things, but it's a safer world. Things are getting a lot better. Like I was talking about relativity and how the future is going to be awesome. Things are getting better slowly. We need to get rid of the bad habits. And the government is a bad habit. It's a redistributive mechanism that's fucking up this free flu of money that we have going on. <laughs> my bad habit I got rid of recently. Happy birthday to me. For 23, I sold my Xbox. Because, you know, you have a day off and I'm like, I do want to fucking play that stupid thing for a couple hours. But that's your one of two days off a week and you just wasted two hours on it. Fucking, yeah, man. Get rid of the bad habits. Get rid of the vacuums that are sucking away time and resources. And the United States government is taking a lot of shit away from our society. It's taking away the most valuable shit, a third of our money, away from our communities to have circulating. So like I started this chapter saying happiness is relative, people in the 1800s weren't as happy. Michael learned in some of his lab studies how happiness is an evolved psychology. Just like the market, when we got smart enough, we were able to start trading and benefiting everybody. Happiness is an evolved psychology. So like dogs 
in that previous brain scan study we had dogs like cats they can experience happiness because they're smart enough a starfish can't be happy and what happiness means the definition is the ability to find meaning in the simple social pleasures and purposes in life so this is why we value pets because we can tell they can be happy they are valuable enough to not be slaughtered and eaten so just like people in the past <laughs> like when the guy discovered the first apple up in a tree and didn't have to eat meat for the first 30 years of his life he had a huge rush of endorphins and happiness and as time goes on we have more pleasures and simple way wiping my butt makes me happy it gives me a little friggin pressure of endorphins not everybody got to do that throughout history talking about these baselines throw off your normal brain chemistry like you're saying you're diagnosed with manic depression now you have to take a pharmaceutical drug to alter your brain chemistry people throughout history you go through extreme highs and extreme lows what are you supposed to do be a monk meditating 24 7 that is an unnatural state and that's what these drugs turn you into a comatosis person and we see that the human machine needs to have these moving markers to keep us motivated and the marker has to keep moving because a study in Michael's book showed that the year after getting a raise, your standard of need is higher to reach the same level of satisfaction. It's like how they say you become a slave to your belongings. If you get too rich, you have so many houses and cars and boats that you have to have so many maids to take care of it. And you're running a business of luxury for yourself at that point. And the year after getting a raise, you're like, ooh, I think I deserve more now. And subconsciously, you're expecting another raise. It's this endless treadmill that I'm talking about. Humans love to run this little hamster wheel. And the government has literally labeled it the American dream. No, this is the human dream to work hard and to acquire new things for your little clan and family. To avoid this year after getting raised dump of cortisol if you can stick to a standard of living which is hard to do this is why minimalism is blowing up so hard if you just stick to a standard of living the level of happiness often goes up and then hey you get a raise you have more america bucks you have more fun points to go around and do things but as long as your standard of living is taken care of make sure that is taken care of first and then stick to a reasonable standard of living where you're not miserable so that you don't have this manic depressant cycle of getting a raise being told you're not good enough you need to train for a couple years getting a raise stick to a standard of living you're thinking, if I got a raise, I'd be happy forever. But humans have what's called, just like rats, a durability bias, where you think you're going to have an idea that would make you happy or sad for an extended period, when in reality, your brain chemistry returns to baseline fairly quickly. So they tested this in rats. You put some cocaine behind some glass, and the rat is like, oh my god, I need that shit. What the hell? And then finally it gets it. And it's like, yeah, that was pretty fun. Like I'm saying, the anticipation of having freedom and a day off might be better than the actual freedom. Looking forward and working towards something has to be there in order to achieve. You just have to realize you don't need to milk yourself for the tax system through this treadmill. But unfortunately... <laughs> Our brain isn't like the durability bias for negative emotions. So when you get happy, you return to baseline really fast. And that's because your brain is setting it up like, let's do that shit again. Let's achieve again so that we can get that dopamine release. But the, the negative one is like a lingering one so your brain is like "Ooh, we need to get out of this and it shows you the fog for a long time. You're never going to make a change in your life unless you're uncomfortable. 
and Michael bought some cutting-edge studies for this part of the chapter about how drug addicts may not actually be addicted to the high but they're addicted to relieving the built-up anxiety of finding the high. So just like ADHD is a wanting system, it's not a liking system, you don't want to get up and do something else in the middle of a classroom and shake your leg and have to piss the entire time. You want to be able to focus, but it's a wanting system. You want to shake your leg. You don't like doing it. And so addiction is just like scratching this itch. You really think those guys under the freeway are still getting high for fun. This is what the right-wingers try to cling to as an argument. That's their argument. It's a depressing thought, but those guys are fueled with negativity and finding a way to scratch that itch and relieve the anxiety of getting that high. But the positivity route takes much more brain power, but leads to a better subconscious calculation, a better moral math moving forward is what Michael's trying to get at. And in Gallup polls, strength of religious affiliation and happiness are linked. So we're trying to quantify happiness here. Money and happiness aren't always linked. They showed through the studies that people who are extremely rich feel like they're a slave to their belongings and they feel like they have to always keep increasing you got to keep making more there's like after 60k it doesn't matter anymore your standard of living is met for most people so it's not this sine curve on the graph like money where to a certain point people who are so rich want to kill themselves like anderson cooper's brother one of the vanderbilt family you have all the money in the world and this guy apparently threw himself off his old balcony so when there's that much money involved you always got to question the motive but money isn't going to make you happiness you could bring out king midas any of the oldest friggin' tales in human history money isn't going to do it but religion is in such a weird way that it's like a just a xy curve on a graph it keeps going up no matter how religious you are until one of you or your family members get fucked in the ass by a priest <laughs> so organization religious really turns and bites people in the ass pun intended there in a lot of situations across the country and over in rome kid touchers with their own country free-formed religion gives people endless happiness without any diminishing return it's pretty insane. And this is why you got to watch out for these atheists who, like, their only thing in life is to destroy other people's God. That's doing more harm than good. You're not freeing them from, like, the kid-toucher, demon-worshipping high clergy of the Roman Catholic Empire. You are destroying their belief system. I mean, try to put truth out there, but don't fucking step on people's God. It brings them so much more happiness throughout life than to maybe hearing some truth. If you want all truth, you got to do the deep dive. That's why I'm doing the show for my fellows out there. And we're finding each other slowly but surely. And so for us truthers, though, that aren't going to believe in religion... Money isn't going to buy us the happiness to a certain extent. It could get us to a survival state. But what else is there to look for? Flow states. These theta waves I'm talking about is the goal of the human existence. It happens when you're looking at a sunset. It's like a meditative state. You're not looking at anything. It's The beauty is too much for you to comprehend. In the book, Michael said 10 out of 12 people experience a flow state every day. But 10 to 12% of people never experience a flow state. That's like going through your whole life drunk. And the rest of us are somewhere in between. So if you're an angry atheist, try to find an activity in life that gets you into this flow state that most people have and they don't even know. And so Mikey ends this fun chapter we had about how money can't buy you happiness with a libertarian principle. 
Your happiness should not impose on anybody else's. So I can own a gun, but I can't shoot you with the gun. You can be gay, but you can't try to rope my kid and I walking down the street into your parade. There has to be equality on both sides. There is nuance to the issues, but there has to be the freedom of your happiness not impinging on somebody else's. And then he said the purpose principle in order to be happy as a society. So that is absolutely essential in being happy as a society, and libertarians know that. Libertarians think that's all you need to be happy as a society, and I'll admit that's why anarcho-capitalism is scary. But like we learned today, humans are scared of things for our own good. We don't know what it's going to do yet. So maybe try it out, and trying out things is how you improve. And then the purpose principle, which is do good and make other people's experiences better along the way. That is more than enough of a religion for you atheists out there. Do good for yourself and make as many other people's time here good as well. That's a great fucking credo to live by. If everybody lived by that, it'd be a beautiful planet. So chapter 9 here, trust with credit verification. When a community gets too big... We were talking about this in Anatomy of the State. Me, a kid in Denver, has nothing in common with a Southern California immigrant family who's just trying to put a roof over their head while they're getting their documentation passed. I have all the America credits I need to succeed right now. I just need to put the work in the right areas for a long-ass time. Me and that guy have nothing in common except for that we get extorted by the same fucking bureaucracy. So when a community gets too big, 330 million people, not everyone interacts and society can devolve into cowboy ethic. And you even see this on like look at whatever building you live in if you know everyone in your building like i do it's a nice place dude we're growing things in the backyard liberty this is a libertarian episode i'll talk about how i planted marijuana it's so freaking easy you can see how the government wants to get control of this crop. They want to be able to try to control the earth. Like I'm saying, my apartment is awesome. We have a beautiful yard. People are growing tomatoes, carrots, onions. There's lettuce all over the yard. It's freaking dope. <laughs> I can go out and pick some romaine lettuce for dinner from my yard. Yeah, keep your eyes on that government thing. A marijuana plant yields like four ounces of flour. And I literally put a couple seeds that you just come across throughout your life I've just been throwing into a jar. I just threw them in the dirt, and there's like five buds already. That's like humans. You throw it in the dirt, and something will always pop up. These plants are fucking resilient. I have no idea how the government was able to have a prohibition on this friggin' weed that'll- That's literally why it translates to weed. It'll pop up anywhere. Just throw it in the ground. <laughs> So when a community gets too big, law ethic, all these stupid friggin' laws start to pop up. If you live in a building that's too big and people aren't being bros and planting stuff, like in my dorms, people will piss and throw up in the hallways, people will steal each other's packages, things devolve. And I jumped the gun on this point a couple months ago, but there's these massive banks that are so big that they live by the cowboy ethic and will just give you the runaround while they use your retirement funds to build parks. I drive around the city of Denver here and I see on like every new construction project it's sponsored by KeyBank. I'm happy I'm not invested in KeyBank because they're building a bunch of shit that better have hail insurance. If they forget one thing, you're not going to be able to retire. Where's that waiver when you put your money in their bank? 
Another example of when communities get too big, they go haywire, was a story of the CEO of Enron ripping off all of his investors. And the reason was Enron, like, championed people who were cutthroat and would rip off their teammates. And they would set up the entirety of Enron so that one department didn't know what the other department was doing. There's a reason the military and a lot of bureaucracies do that. It's just like how in 2008, Goldman was selling those trash IPOs and then bought insurance on them so they knew when the bombs explode, they would make money off of it. Oh, and then they got bailed out, so they made money three times over on this fucking crash. And what do they do with your money throughout that whole thing? Got Barack Obama elected to start seven new wars. So you can see it happens in every bureaucracy where humans have their grubby little hands on this control. It always gets corrupted. That's why you have to trust with your credit verification. And the market is cooperative human minds. It isn't one guy making decisions in an office. Like humans, Michael starts talking about all the kind acts. Altruism is part of us. The kid who fell into the Harambe pit. We should have let him get ripped in half because his mom... How do you let your kid crawl into a friggin' gorilla pit? Yeah, two years after, and and I guess I do have a position on it. What the hell was that mom doing, dude? This gorilla should have ripped the kid in half, and now the gorilla has to die. But the altruism of humans i'm trying to talk about we shot the gorilla out of the kindness of our hearts so that that kid could live so although there's altruism we're looking out for each other we have mutual destruction and this is what gets into men like if you know that if you violate a social norm in a libertarian society if you steal somebody's shit you should know that a group of men are going to come to your house with rifles And Michael had the cognitive calculations how when men see a violation of social norms, we get a testosterone release. So we get an angry response when we see rules being broken and bended. Why do you think I get angry when I talk about these fucking things? And then men also get a larger hit of oxytocin when we're able to punish the social norm violators. That's why if you listen to accounts of men in jail that they were able to beat the guy that like effed their wife... They say it's the best feeling of their life. It was better than any of the sex that woman was able to give them. It's total justice. We get huge hits of oxytocin when we're punishing norm violators. And really interesting, women have a similar mechanism, but for the opposite function. When women partake in reciprocal norms, they get an oxytocin boost, leading in them playing by the rules more. This is why women get better grades throughout school and make more money from 25 to 35. Stay in line. And then when you're 35, you finally have that age confidence we learned about more to go out and start your own business and say, you all are little fucks. I know nobody actually knows what they're doing here on earth. Listen to me now. And that's when men start to make more money (laughs) but women when they follow the rules when they do their homework they get a much bigger oxytocin boost and this is why most women don't like the bad boys it's a cognitive dissonance to see a guy riding a motorcycle without a helmet and so while i like to do shit on both of the sexes as i've done every show and i will do for the rest of my life and on stage this isn't the real enemy here and like the state is trying to make feminism the biggest cause to pin men and women against each other this isn't the issue there are two percent of people who are sociopaths and do not acknowledge these normal oxytocin boosts for either punishing wrongdoers or being a good doer so we got to be really able to either identify these people that don't have the normal brain chemistry and allows them 
to cut the throat of people in the tribe when no one's looking or advance to the level of Zuckerberg always wanting to be bigger and selling out to them the government to let them look through all your Facebook messages. So this 2%, it's not the market that made Mark Zuckerberg. Assholes like that who are going to hoard wealth and friggin' spy on you for that wealth, they're going to exist just like they were pushing people off of cliffs in the tribes. That's just what we have to be looking out together for, men and women. <laughs> but I'm going to keep stirring the pot. So we see here once again at the end of chapter 9, environments that produce high economic freedom produce economic trust. So nations that show the most trust in their stock market improve the most for everyone involved. That's why America has to run the market because everyone's trading off our dollar so we benefit the most. Chapter 10 here, the science of good rules. So we have a society, right? So what kind of good rules is Michael saying we should put in here? When Michael was doing that race across America, they went from LA to New York on a bike. You could take any route you want. First one to New York wins. You're not allowed to draft off of other cars or obviously have anyone pull you or anything. Michael said it took him 20 days to make that bike trek. He said he had someone like spot him and drive ahead for the route. But how much of an accomplishment accomplishment is that and he did it multiple times biked across the continental u.s and he was saying this competition had to have rules because everybody wanted to win there were more people joining the group every single year so then they needed to add more rules and he said the key to it was to have a non-profiting body to enforce the rules it has to be a third party someone who is not even able to financially benefit a little bit from this interaction this is why, like, the bigger it gets, the dirtier it gets. The Olympic Committee, the entire world coming together to play a sport. Well, it's also the entire world coming together to take bribes. Have you seen the Icarus documentary? It's about Russia building underground tunnels to be able to get P-test to the lab while their athletes are able to still dope throughout the entire Olympics. And then look at FIFA. They are the dirtiest scumbag businessmen on the globe. They acquire thousands of Philippine slaves to build 75,000 person stadiums in the middle of a desert. You are pure evil. But we are going to marvel at those stadiums for hundreds of years. <laughs> so the best thing is that we don't notice good rules if they're there. Therefore, we don't know how intricate the trust web of society is until it breaks. So you Uber to a restaurant, you gave your card info to a robot, got into a stranger's car, and told the robot that that person had zero flaws, five stars. Think about the trust web that we all live in. Those are all just social norms and things that the market set up for us to do. I could literally go anywhere in the city right now. I don't have a car. I don't have car insurance for like $5. It's insane what world we live in. But anyway, it's inherent for people to protect what's ours. It's inherent to want to protect this web that we have already spun. But let's do the converse. It's inherent to protect what's ours. It's not inherent to take what someone else's. That's sociopathy. That's this 2% of people who are going to kill and try to rob from you when you're not looking. That's the redistributive mechanism of the government. It's a sociopathic bureaucracy that's dressed up as this human rights organization that takes our money every month, every paycheck. I'm broke. I'm 23, dude. It's getting me angry. Who else is mad? We're poor Americans. Oh no, I can't start actually using my emotion because that sounds like I'm going to incite a riot and I could go to jail. I could probably go to jail for something they said already anyway. 
finishing up chapter 10. If you have a tribe of 2,000 people, there's over 2 million different possible dyads. I could be friends with him and this guy, and we're going to make fun of those guys together. But with this friend, I like to make fun of those people. With just 2,000 people, there's over 2 million different possible things. That's why the government needs to make this supercomputer to see how the webs of people are connecting with each other through Facebook. So just like that, bureaucracies have always been trying to monopolize force. So you always constantly have to have good rules in place. You're not allowed to look at our personal information. You're not allowed to try to make this massive web of how we're all connected. Start with a constitution that can't be broken. And you see it's gotten too big, so we don't have good rules anymore. We have stupid rules. People say, what is a libertarian society going to look like without any rules? Probably a bunch of victory gardens in front of people's yards. Because what is this rule? You're not allowed to grow that plant that I was just talking about in my backyard. You're not allowed to have a garden in your house. In my hometown in New Jersey, there was a sanctioned land by the town where you were allowed to apply to go grow crops. They don't want you to be able to grow your own things. you got to keep spitting money into their machine. It should be 100% voluntary, but we're all being led to believe that it's 100% free and it's all coached. An anarcho society would look like people thinking for themselves, me and my neighbor might want to build a lazy river. That goes a couple, maybe our whole block wants to pitch in to do that. It's our land, let's dig a hole in the back. It might devalue the land, so when I sell it, it's not going to be worth jack shit. So it's not the greatest investment, and I shouldn't do it. I have a landlord, so I can't do that. But the point is, a homeowner should be allowed to put a friggin' hot tub in their yard without having to buy a permit from the town for zoning laws. It's all bullshit, it's just a backdoor tax to take more money. So an anarcho society would look like <laughs> instead of bushes, weed plants everywhere you go and lazy rivers and booze and parks and a party all the time. But as we learned about quantifying responsibility, money isn't what makes you happy. Responsibility makes you happy and religion is a good shortcut to happiness too. That takes us to our next chapter perfectly. Chapter 11, don't be evil. This was a weird part of the book. It's getting into the morality stories. So we'll breeze over towards the end of the show here. Thank you guys for staying tuned. This has been a very fun episode. I love talking about markets and freedom. Don't be evil. Of course, you have to freaking include this story. Michael was talking about in the 2004 Iraq torture pictures in Abu Ghraib. <sighs> Dude, it gets really dark. I'll give you like one taste because I like to fucking see the videos of the darkest shit on the internet. Like I said, <laughs> I'm red-pilled to the biggest terrorist attack of my lifetime. American soldiers were caught in 2004 in Iraq taking, quote, terrorists, people in their homelands with weapons. And doing, you've seen the pictures of naked guys having dogs barked at them, spraying them with fire hoses. They did electric crucifixions. Just disgusting things that humans are animals. We are still capable of doing disgusting things to each other when our brain, our sim chip is loaded with the most disgusting thoughts of hatred towards foreign people. You're going to be capable of doing some heinous shit. But most of us are raised with the golden rule, do as to others as you would have done unto you. And that leads to a lot more acts of kindness than acts of terror that we commit and others commit. So Abu Ghraib, would any individual man that took the military oath, would you look at him and think, yeah, this guy could tie a human up to a couple of poles and send voltage through that to, <laughs> to crucify him with fireworks like Jesus the Rock Show? Oh my god, that is the darkest joke I've ever made. <laughs>
But as you learn this in school a million times, the Stanford Prison Experiment, situations influence your behavior more than you can realize. And especially when you're in them, you're immersed in it, you can't tell. They just gave a bunch of kids in uh, Stanford, uh, some of them guard uniforms, some of them prison uniforms. And after 24 hours, they were fully brainwashed into thinking that they were in prison and the other kids were beating the other kids up thinking they had authority they earned over them. There's a good movie on it too, but it shows even in the most extreme examples when you take someone whose life it is to be a soldier and destroy the enemy when they finally get their hands on the enemy, disgusting shit is going to happen. If you stop the propaganda on both sides, it would disseminate the war zone. You got to end the mentality first. It's an information war. And Michael, Michael knows this. He's been through it his whole life. Running the Skeptics magazine, he's been seen as an outsider. And so he's done the studies that MRIs show extreme nonconformity can be a traumatic experience. Just like escaping Scientology, you probably have PTSD or something like that. This is how our government is, obviously. You want to be part of the whole thing to make us a team. Like I said before, you're either part of the 51% or you can leave or you're the other. Whoever is the 51% gets to decide what the 49% is called. Dissenters, rebels, nonconformist terrorists, whatever. Nonconformity can be traumatic. So you don't want to be evil. You don't want to push people to the fringe even further. You want to give them the resources to talk it out. And Michael ended this chapter with another home run of his, saying how Google's old slogan, not sure it's this anymore, I'm pretty sure it's not, was, don't be evil. That was it. That didn't last long. While it worked, they had the Gordon Gecko theory of economics. Google used to be a whole other animal. That theory of school is just to most easily simplified, you reward work, not unemployment. No reverse incentives like how our government runs and most governments run. Back when Google was saying don't be evil, they had the Google Good Guy program, which was where you got rewarded to write up what another person was doing well. Because, you know, some of these people, especially like these coders with autists, are too humble to say, yo, look at this project that I've been working on for Google. They had this system where people were propping each other up. And now you see last year that white guy got fired from Google because he wrote to their HR department, so it should be confidential. He was writing how the hiring department was hiring underqualified women for coding positions. And these are the people that he's working with, not these HR people who are hiring powerful women. The guy who wrote this and then got fired for writing truth was saying, there are these super geniuses, people with IQs off the spectrum, making pilgrimages from all over the earth that have this slim chance of opportunity to work their fingertips off on the computer. And are much easily more qualified and have a much better grasp of this, the level of coding that goes into a search algorithm like Google. This guy got fired for saying we're playing a political game when we should be making our product better. So Google turned on him. The, that Google good guy program has turned into the, the doxing program to the friggin' getting other people fired. That's what our culture likes to do right now. To cancel people. Ew, what the hell is this American deep state influenced culture that we have? So don't be evil. We used to see the government started libraries because they wanted to see what people were ingesting. And now they're not going to stop. It's the digital age. Google went evil. I don't know. And our government is slowly turning that way too. You can slowly. There's fake news out there every day. How did our president start that term? 
Someone needs to get in his ear, though, right now and tell him don't be evil. Dude's banning bump stocks and silencers and getting us to go into Venezuela. <laughs> what happened to standing up for the people? Chapter 12, Free to Choose, How I Wish We All Were. This chapter is called Free to Choose, but the point is, are we really free to choose? So Mikey got philosophical. Without choice, is man even a thing? No, you're a robot. If you don't have choice, you're an inanimate object. So Michael's Phil 101 question, without choice is man a thing. Your degree of choice is then equal to how much of a man you are then. Literally, the more of a human, the more of a man that you are, the more autonomy that you have. But are we free to choose in this indoctrinating world that we have? Nowadays, we see 40,000 commercials a year. And children as young as the age of 18 have brand recognition. How crazy is that? An 18-year-old that could barely talk is saying, Damn them all! So we get pushed towards our decisions, and you want to make your decisions the best. Like I was saying before, the Pop-Tart thing. Instead of choosing between blueberry and strawberry, Pop-Tarts choose between blueberry and strawberry oatmeal. At least you have a choice every morning, but it's a much healthier choice. And the TV tells you what your choices are, Republican or Democrat. Michael talked about how some people have a lower amount of the DRD4 gene, which can lead to lower dopamine secretion then throughout life, leading to increased risks needing to be taken. So this is the same with people who abuse opioids, and the same with the sociopaths, gamblers, base jumpers, friggin' acrobats, whatever. Do these DRD4 people, the guys under the bridge, like we learned about addiction today, a scratching an itch, do they have a lesser degree of choice? And we've been starting this new thing called the computational theory of minds, which is still under development. We're still running off the edge of the cliff and trying to figure this whole thing out. We can put a bunch of minds onto a silicon computer through an MRI, like the brain test when you see, this is your brain on marijuana. That's really just a culmination of all the images of people's brains on marijuana. So for some people, it made them lose their fucking mind. They tripped hard as balls because they've never thought of a psychedelic before. <laughs> <laughs> but then for some people a joint is like a cup of coffee those pictures your brain on this isn't including like these people with the drd4 gene it's just a bell curve that they're showing you and so we see with this drd4 people their brain delay is actually a little bit less so they are more impulsive and the way they were able to study this was through a little buzzer study and michael would be like do you want some pizza or ice cream and there'd be two buttons and three tenths before you said pizza or ice cream your hand had already gone down and hit whichever you wanted so your subconscious brain has a lead has a permanent lead on the pitcher which is your prefrontal cortex thinking brain and you always have to turn around check it you might have to check back to the base and make sure your impulsive brain doesn't steal second and steal some more money out of your wallet. This is why if you ask someone if they want to do something and they go, oh, their answer has already been made up. That's their rational brain now just milling over excuses. The Duh. If they wanted to go, they would have started shaking their head yes and said, okay, when, where? Just know that yes is yes, no and maybe are no going forward. In dating and anything, when you're asking somebody something, listen for the excuse buffer. Uh. With this three-tenth buzzer thing, Michael came to a comparison that I liked, that freedom of choice is just like a magician's trick. They give you freedom to pick a member of the audience, to pick a number, pick a card in the deck. But it doesn't matter, the trick is always going to be the same. And Michael leads here in our final chapter talking about free to choice, the paternalism problem. So do we have a freedom of choice if we have a government? And Michael says, pick two. 
happiness, freedom, government. And so an example for that, I mean, mine, obvious for me, happiness and freedom. Fuck a government. I'll hang Donald Trump by the draws outside the White House. I'll give you an example where the government is one you might want to keep, though. Like the cigarette tax increased happiness and government. It made less people die of throat cancer who were brainwashed by Joe Camel and all these TV characters that they grew up with smoking. Making the cigarette tax, making pictures of rotting lungs on top of Marlboro boxes and the Marlboro man who told you not to sleep and live life recklessly or whatever libertarian paternalism a forum where i can put the truth out like yelp and say whoa i think my grandma might have just died from cigarettes remember there were ads where doctors on live television would tell you that cigarettes were healthy for you now it's just tucked away in advertisements to make a little bit leather dermamexitraphamine this is a great drug to put your brain on for the rest of your life is it really we're going to be looking at those commercials just like joe motherfucking camel so happiness, freedom, government. If you want to give the government the power to tax the cigarettes, it's going to hurt everybody now. People are being more broke that do like to smoke once in a while. I mean, this is all a bell curve, dude. That that only benefits the dumb people. But yeah, if you give some of power to government, it will be able to benefit people that can't think for themselves. And Colorado is one of the first states to friggin' start to figure out this conundrum. Happiness, freedom, government, just like the cigarette thing. In Colorado, you need the guns and the drugs. That's how you have the government and the freedom. That's all that government is. It's guns. It's a monopoly of force. You're allowed to throw people away for using a certain chemical or doing a certain act you don't like. So this paternalism is just a good function of humans. And it's natural. Our impulse is to help each other as we learn today. This is one of the ones I've been trying to live by because I'm 22 and poor, getting sent student loan payments and all that type of shit. The state of human nature is poverty. You can't expect to be sent a welfare check and free food. You gotta go earn your keep. So don't fall into that negative Alexandro Casio cortez thinking. There is a lot of wealth in America. So you should see this waspy guy in the polo next to you and say, Hey, mister... How did you get that wealth? You should look at him and be like, all right, what is this classy motherfucker doing right? He's keeping to himself. He's being attentive. He's looking at his phone only when he needs to. He's not being flashy and being annoying. You should look at the wealth and say, how do I get the wealth? Not listen to the TV or when AOC will go on TV. This is a narrative being pushed and it makes me question the news every single day if this is all just going to be revealed that it's a massive joke. <laughs> They're saying on MSN and CNN, are our kids going to be the first generation without prosperity? What does that mean, dude? Touch your leg. You have an iPhone there. Are you prospering? You're doing pretty good. You could get that 24 ounces of beer and a cup of coffee and a muffin for $5 anywhere in this mecca of gluttony that we call America. Our poor people are obese. This is a great place to be. We are not the first generation without prosperity. Alexandra, take your private jet to Africa for a weekend. Go look at what's not prospering over there. We're doing okay. Stop telling people they need help. You need to get your own here. We're in a fucking amazing market. Michael is saying you do as well as the market you're in. You can do as well as you think you can in this economy. Put yourself in the right place.
Stop looking at that guy on the bus in the polo and thinking how you can reallocate his money through taxes into your wallet. Why should he be buying you a polo? You didn't do anything to deserve his wealth. This guy has probably like covered your rent through rent control a couple times. I have driven by manors in Denver. Even within the city limits, there are these mansions that are... I've never seen, I don't think I've really seen houses this big, man. It's pretty crazy. I've In North Jersey, there are some of the richest counties in America. But in some of these lawns, there are side houses that are bigger than the houses that I grew up in. There are insane amounts of wealth around us everywhere on this country that we have in this insane market that our forefathers have built up and died for. Let me slam the left a little bit more. I'm in that WWE mode where they're on the ground and you keep trying to pin them, but they kick a little bit. I keep, I just got to keep trying to pin you guys down. You can't allocate shit that isn't yours. You were all born into different shit to different degrees. You can't just base the entire system off of what roll of the dice you had. That should be the only thing that maybe isn't regulated then, right? No, the government has to have a say on friggin' estate taxes, and when my hardworking Mountain Dew drinking third shift working mom dies, the government gets to take 30% of that and a third of our trailer extensions on our home that we've been working literal family generations to have. It's disgusting how bad we treat our hard workers in this country. And it starts with that root of thinking that there needs to be this paternal force. And it just doesn't make sense that the side, the lefties that are saying that we need to steal more shit from each other, isn't the side that gives more shit. Conservatives donate more blood than liberals. Like we saw earlier, Walmart donates 10 times as much food to the homeless in America. The answer is not giving up all of our rights and our power and our money to this fucking waitress, Alexandra, that you think is there for women empowerment. She's a slimy lizard, dude. What would I have to benefit from lying to you about this? She has a private jet to benefit. I had a meme that popped off this month. It was about how all the Democrats are going, oh, isn't it so gross how corporations pretend to care about LGBTQs just for their money? And then the next thing was Democratic National Committee, and it was that monkey that's like, oh, shit, I hope they don't pick up on it because the DNC takes more of your money every year to try to pretend that you're getting free college and free health care when you have to pay back the FAFSA. Nothing is free in America. So if we had, instead of this just redistributive vacuum, if we had libertarian paternalism, Michael is saying the default would be to benefit the people, but you always have the freedom of choice. So there would be Medicare, but you have the ability to buy the McDonald's of Medicare. I'm a 20-year-old. I'm probably not going to have a heart attack. There's no reason I should be paying the same amount as a geriatric payment. (laughs) I take care of myself. So Michael's libertarian paternalism is a better alternative to an anarcho-society. And that is going to take us into our epilogue and we'll tie a bow on this journey that we've been in Michael Shermer's Mind of the Market. To open the world, Michael calls this. And he started with a Mises quote. Ludwig von Mises, he was an older libertarian writer right around Murray's time from the month of May. So we'll have to definitely get some Mises here on Nick's nonfiction. And then there's Rothbard. The three of them are like the... Mount Rushmore of libertarianism. Those are the types of guys that get looked at as the locks, especially in this crazy time that we are today. So what did Mises have to say? An anti-something never has a chance of succeeding. You can't just be anti-something. That would be running your entire pitch. 
I'm sorry, I'm sweating my balls off. It's fucking 80 degrees, and I had to keep the friggin' window shut for the whole show. I've been, like, recording this in a sauna. I'm surprised the mic didn't short out. <laughs> but if your point is only let's tear down the government or bring down the patriarchy, no one's ever gonna get behind your cause because it's an anti-cause. You have to stand for something. That's why libertarians stand for freedom. That's why... The biggest upset of war ever, maybe I don't know the history of war that much out there, but that Americans were bred to believe through education. The American Revolution, a group of drunk farming libertarians with their muskets took on the biggest imperialist empire to have ever existed. All of the tobacco, the cotton, the tea, the beaver skins, man. A bunch of drunk guys with guns were able to take that from the most powerful bureaucracy until the United States federal government has ever lived. So my extrapolation, but Mises was saying, even if it's just a bunch of drunk guys with guns, if you stand for something, and if you stand for something as powerful as freedom, that'll put a lot of sailing on your wings. Let's move into Michael's final point. There's nothing natural about a free economy. You don't see squirrels trading nuts in the backyard. They all dig them up and hoard them and let them spoil and forget where they dug half of them and then die after two years. That's the life of a squirrel and would-be ape. But it takes a developed, rational, trading mind of men. Homo economicus has to be fully developed in order for a free economy to exist. And then usually a little, a few rules have to be on there too. Like, no puffery. You can't lie about the shit that you're trying to sell to people. This, like, black goo that you see on Instagram when scrolling that they're telling you to put in your teeth to make it whiter. That is a 2019 a digital snake oil salesman. <laughs> there's all this type of stuff that is not scientifically backed at all. So there's nothing natural about a free economy. There's no squirrels selling spoiled nuts to each other. So it takes a developed mind to participate in this market, Michael is saying. But you know what the state of nature is? Death, honestly. Most beings out there get eaten or die of starvation, but the state of human nature and nature is poverty up until about a hundred years ago. So when you heard AOC and her crony say that we're about to have the first nation to live without prosperity, you're born into this world naked with nothing, and that's how it is until you mix your labor with the land and fucking earn something. Yeah, you get an estate. Hopefully you have a parent that just doesn't throw you into a nunnery. That's why infanticide has been a massive number of death in human history forever. That's what makes it look like that people only live to 30. It's because we were yeeting babies off cliffs for millennium. And now some white dudes in ties can think they could tell girls in Alabama that they can't yeet a feet every now and then <laughs> these people that girl that gave up the baby to a nunnery these people in alabama don't have abortions because they like it as a weekend activity man you can't afford to have a kid most people in america can't thanks for that economy said white dudes in ties and the answer again isn't aoc and us not being the first generation without prosperity Every single generation except for like the slutty six, the lucky six generations of us and a few of our parents up until the 1850s, we fucking hit the lottery, man. We are not in the state of poverty because our forefathers worked their ass off. And the trend has been going that way, but there's a bigger trend of these 
growing bureaucracies that want to take away from the productive value. And so Michael ends the epilogue with two quotes here, the first being one of Thomas Jefferson. He apparently beat some women, I think. Everyone was beating women back then. That's like saying how they all owned slaves. Well, it would stand for something to be against slavery back then. It means nothing to say I think slavery is wrong in 2019. It means something to say I don't think me and everybody that lives on my block should have to give a third of their money away every two weeks in a paycheck. But you guys are just pleasing to the crown right now. You gotta be on the right side of history. Thomas Jefferson said the price to freedom is eternal vigilance. Just like in life, you got to work to have your small freedoms. And as a society, when we sit back with Netflix on and throw chips at our face all fucking day, as a society, you got to stay woke. You got to stay vigilant to combat the corruption of the state. And that is eternal. It's a never-ending grind, just like this incarnation of being a human (laughs) we're lucky as a kid we didn't have to work in factories but the state of human nature is poverty and then the price to freedom on top of that is eternal vigilance it's hard work (laughs) michael snuck in a point about how mckenna would always talk about that's terence mckenna the psychonautic explorer one of his main ideas was that raising the consciousness of people can lead to social change Look at how Denver just legalized mushrooms. Motherfuckers out here aren't going to have to listen to the show now to understand these innate human values of freedom. That's going to click pretty quick. You know the missing link? You might have heard about that in your public education if you're lucky. It's about we don't know how apes got to humans. And a big thought about that is that we found under ox patties in the middle of the Sahara mushrooms growing underneath and it totally morphed our brain into the language adaptive social brain that is humans it's like how the cia put dolphins on acid and then they were able to talk to each other Ta-da! i'm motioning with my hands right now see <laughs> the science is there raising the consciousness of the public can lead to social change And luckily, we have this base level of security and that all the men before us worked their asses off to give us. So let's not give it back to some 300 guys in an office in a country of 300 million people. That's Congress. And you saw, let's bring it back to anatomy of the state. In Europe, it was like after World War I broke out, they invented the passport. The people all agreed on it, and the governments were like, go ride your bikes around Europe. We don't care what you guys are doing. Just pay taxes to the country that you were born in. But it gave people the freedom. It opened the world to raise their consciousness and see what the other people were about. That's why Anthony Bourdain was amazing. He probably cared a lot of racists. You ever hear the story of the black guy who talked to 20 KKK members and was able to get them out of the KKK because they were like, that's a nice hood, bro. And he's like, bro, why you not like black people? And he's like, this is a really risky bit. I got to roll this back a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, by open speech, the guy was able to, just through conversation and not beating them to a pulp, tell you, the KKK is the stupidest thing you could ever spend your time in, man. (laughs) You're cool because you're white? No, hate to break it to you, you're not cool at all, you're just white. And that gets me angry thinking it relates directly to how they want to censor the fringe of the internet right now, like uh, 4chan, because they call the people Nazis on there. It's just the right wing. If you can actually open a forum of discussion to these people that's not flooded with bots from the CIA, and they tell you it's Russians, we found like two troll farms in Russia, and there's hundreds of black sites in America. 
but this is closing the doors to conversation. It's closing that passport that could happen, the digital passport. Like we learned today, the government almost had to make you pay a toll to get on the internet. And so the final quote of Michael's epilogue here, The Mind of the Market, on the Suez Canal, it says, to open the world for all people. That's all we're trying to do here. I'm not trying to take money from anybody. I'm not trying to make you schizophrenic or have terrible thoughts about the government. I just think you should hear about truth. And that's all from Michael Shermer's Mind of the Market. Thank you guys for staying to the end. I'm a little salty here with Michael. <laughs> that was a fun episode. I got to talk about freedom and liberty and taxes and the economy and making money off the market and saving money. But Michael kind of honey-dicked us here. I'm going to bench him for the rest of 2019 because it wasn't really a stock book. And it was called Mind of the Market. On the cover of the book is a picture of ants carrying money. He did an author bamboozle on us. I just spent a freaking month of my life with this guy's thoughts. So Michael did give us some really good libertarian nuggets as well as ideas for where your money is falling out of your wallet throughout the week. So I'm thinking Michael has secured a slot for 2020. I'm hoping to read his book, Skeptic. It's about how he wrote that magazine and the types of psalms, credos, whatever you want to call it, that he lives by as someone who questions the motive to all actions, man. Rational people think before they act. And I'm sure in some of his other books, he's throwing out free money tips as well. What's next month? Next month, I am getting a desk. We are slowly but surely, my current projection is two years in, getting a video aspect here to Nick's nonfiction. Ooh, so let me throw that plug in too. You're not going to want to miss it. The fireworks are going off. We're about to hit 10k on hairy shit. Get involved. Stay involved. The comments are getting better. People always explain the joke to one another if they don't get it. And some people interpret it completely wrong because I put some political sauce up there. And I always balance it. I'll bash the left, bash the right, bash the Fed. <laughs> and people don't know what the fuck is going on because meme pages are conservative, liberal memes. Liberal memes are garbage. <laughs> I've been around the meme-verse. Harry shit, the race to 10k, three years, about to conclude. The race to 1 trillion, 10 years. <laughs> people gotta start having a lot of babies. I'll get the Russian bots on my team. For the real, next month... We will be reading our first female author book, and to decompress, because as the ebb and flow of the show, this was a more engaging episode. There was a lot of truth and learning and unlearning about what we've been told about the economy. So for the month of August, we'll be digressing and reading Enter Talking. This is Joan Rivers, a world-famous female comedian, her autobiography, and the story of her comedy come up. All through the Catskills, moving to L.A., doing theater, anywhere and everywhere showbiz resides. Joan was there on her knees to suck the wang of show business. <laughs> I will be sharing my stand-up stories as well. I'm less than a year in, so hopefully I don't look back on this like a... <laughs> But this is what you do when you even hear your own voice on a voicemail, you cringe. I'll be sharing the stories that I have thus far. I'll try to share what I think I've gathered as tips and experiences. But Joan has plenty of that for any aspiring comics out there. So do not miss it. Wear a diaper. You're going to be peeing yourself the entire show. And thank you guys for tuning in this month of July. And once again, opening your mind to the ideas of myself and Michael Shermer and the mind of the market. I'm going to see you all real soon. Peace.